This has been a wild day. Strangely wild. Something has agitated this audience. I don't understand why it happens. What is the impetus of the anxiety? But members of this audience are coming after me. I've received five times more tweets and emails just in the last couple days than I have for weeks. Got one right here. Buzzard writes in. Anyone ever noticed how Fantasy Mansion pivots 180 degrees on what he thinks about players based on how they perform as of late? It'd be more bearable if he wasn't so douchey. Douchey enough to ignore the fact that he has a recorded track record of polar opposite takes. Entertainers, am I right? What? Now, I could just block or mute these individuals and move on, but no, no. It's important to turn over these rocks and let the sunlight sanitize these messages. Expose these roaches that crawl around in my ecosystem to the light. That's what I do. I am a troll killer. If I were not the podfather, my nickname would be the troll killer. I wish that were my Twitter handle, at troll killer. If I could go back in time and pick a new Twitter handle, it would not be Fantasy Mansion. It'd be Troll Killer. And there is a common flow diagram for buzzardry. You troll the podfather. You then get flamed on my timeline. I don't merely reply. I destroy you in front of over 20,000 followers. And then you get butthurt and you lash out in tears. That's how it goes. Just go to my timeline at fantasy underscore mansion and you could see the typical buzzard flow diagram. It is so predictable. They just don't have a comeback. Once you expose them to the light, point out their hindsight bias, identify their logical fallacies or merely disprove their outright lies with a single link. They crawl back under the rock from which they came. Happens every time. And some of these tweets really require no response. Like, like this tweet from at Juke underscore Will John accusing me of sports take fraud. I'm a flip-flopper. I have no conviction. Yes, you got me, buzzard. When you think of guys with no conviction in this industry, you think of the podfather. <laughs> like, no, I'm literally the last person you would think of. Are you not familiar with this player named Jeff Janis? For which I had so much conviction, some of it irrational, that I continued to rank him and roster him in Dynasty after he was flushed out of the league. And to this day, I still believe Jeff Janis was railroaded out of the NFL. He's not Colin Kaepernick, but there were biases at play that resulted in Jeff Janis no longer being employed at the NFL level. You can't tell me Jeff Janis shouldn't be on an active NFL roster today based on the wide receivers that are in the league today. You can't tell me this. When the Raiders are starting Brandon LaFell, you can't tell me this. Is Brandon LaFell helping you on offense? No. Is Brandon LaFell helping you on special teams? No. Can Brandon LaFell execute a splash play of any kind? No. Can Jeff Janis do all of those things? Yes. So what the fuck, man? I don't know. I don't know, but I still have conviction that Jeff Janis, if deployed properly, could help an NFL team win games. He's done it before, and he's still in his prime. He, with Aaron Rodgers, single-handedly, dual-handedly, 
won a playoff game for the Green Bay Packers. Of all the analysts in the industry, no one needs to unfurl their player conviction bona fides less than I do. And yet that's the criticism on Twitter. That's the level of absurdity that the buzzards have reached trolling the podfather on social media. And then the follow-up. Oh, there were follow-ups, yes. Not only will fantasy gamers soon realize that this podcast and playerprofiler.com is nothing more than a marketing gimmick. Yes, yes, a marketing gimmick. And it's not just me. Yes, and apparently, once it has been revealed to you that I am a fraud, you will soon realize that Evan Silva, of all analysts, is also a fraud. Yes, yes. (laughs) Swaying back and forth in the wind, taking the temperature of the room, what's the public sentiment on Player X, and crafting our analysis accordingly. No contrarian takes. No, no, no. And certainly no conviction. No. Players we liked last week are players we love this week. (laughs) Except that couldn't be further from the truth. It's literally the last thread of criticism one would pull on when arguing that my analysis lacks legitimacy. (laughs) I'm a lot of things. Flip flopper ain't one of them. When I sit down and self-scout myself, analyze my own analysis, more often the criticism is that I'm too strident with players. We talked about this with Rich Rebar. Take lock. You need to be careful of take lock. Don't have take lock. The analysis of the analysis, the self-analysis, helps prevent take lock. Because that's the real enemy of the fantasy analyst. It's not a lack of conviction. It's a loyalty to past positions an inability to pivot off of past positions that have become untenable. That's the challenge. (laughs) Juke John. Talk about a guy who wished he could go back in time and change his Twitter handle. My God. And I know what you're thinking. We get it, Matt. We get it. You're smart. You have conviction. Sometimes you're too smart for your own good. You underestimate how dumb the NFL is. If the NFL were smarter, your takes would be even better, Matt. We get it. We get it. Do not allow a single buzzard tweet to derail the entire first segment. You're in a tailspin, Podfather. Pull up! I will not pull up. Because if even a single person believes that our positions on players are too fungible, well, well, we need to take a moment to set the record straight. No, no, please don't! Please, please don't! Please! We believe you! Let's talk about week 11, please! I don't know who to put in flex. I don't care who you put in flex. I do care about erasing any doubt in the authenticity and conviction of my positions. I'm a lot of things. Fraud ain't one of them. And we could go down through 32 NFL teams and I can point at players for whom I have articulated authentic, unique, oftentimes contrarian positions and demonstrated great conviction in those positions over time. Let's start with the New England Patriots. We were talking about Chris Hogan as an underrated wide receiver the moment he arrived in Buffalo. We were explaining how and why Chris Hogan trutherism is justified based on his track record as a lacrosse player. Don't worry about the breakout age. He didn't even play football in college. And I held firm to that conviction. And what happened? We, like many, overdrafted Chris Hogan. Was that a lack of conviction or was that take lock? 
Look at Sony Michelle. From before the NFL draft until today, we have always insisting that Nick Chubb was the Georgia running back to own in Dynasty, and that if you wanted to draft a running back at slot 32, you should have drafted either Chubb or Darius Geis, not Sony Michelle. Shouldn't have drafted a running back at all. You could argue if Saquon Barkley fell to 32, okay. There's a case to be made for Saquon Barkley in the late first round, not in the top 10. But Gettleman gonna Gettleman. If Dave Gettleman makes a decision, it's probably wrong. And the Patriots' decision to draft Sony Michelle at pick 32 was wrong. The right pick was Harold Landry. If not Harold Landry, Josh Jackson. If not Josh Jackson, Darius Leonard. There were a lot of great picks available in the second round, not running back. And we have Sony Michelle ranked behind superior running backs like Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, and Matt Breida on the player profiler dynasty rankings. So someone explain to me where our Sony Michelle analysis wavered. We've also been lower on Josh Gordon than consensus because of the risk factors. The risk factors that have not changed in spite of his success. That's just the New England Patriots. That's just one team out of 32. The Miami Dolphins. We insisted that the wide receiver best equipped to replace Jarvis Landry in that passing game was Albert Wilson. And that's exactly what he did. We also said do not overdraft Kenyon Drake in any format. Kenyon Drake has been well below consensus on the player profiler dynasty rankings since his tepid breakout in 2017. Kenyon Drake is a small sample trap. And anyone that drafted him now has a bear trap locked on their legs. But the ownership of Kenyon Drake across fantasy teams run by Roto Underworld Radio listeners is minuscule. Even in the face of highly respected analysts, some of my favorite analysts in the business were confident in a Kenyon Drake breakout this season. We looked at it. We shook our head. We're not swayed stayed the course and look what's happening to kelvin benjamin right now in the face of a monster rookie season one of the most impressive rookie seasons we've seen in recent memory kelvin benjamin in 2014 we were never buying it never it wasn't until this season when kelvin benjamin slipped into the double digit rounds that we could make a case for drafting kelvin benjamin but that's not a lack of conviction if anything it's a flaw in our evaluation Generally speaking, we overvalue the opportunity side of the ledger in fantasy drafts, and as Sean Siegel pointed out, this is a failing of most fantasy analysts. Show me early season opportunity, and I'll show you a player overdrafted in expert drafts. I mean, is that what you're going to get me on? That I felt that players like Kelvin Benjamin have a price point in which you can feel comfortable selecting them in fantasy drafts? Like at all. Like my position that Kelvin Benjamin, who has been best comparable to Gargamel on player profiler for years, should not go undrafted. Is that really where you're gonna get me? Is that really all you have, buzzards? The idea that I don't hate players, I hate ADPs, is something that you're gonna hold against me? Really? After Matthew Barry quoted me in his final love-hate column. That the axiom, I don't hate players, I hate ADPs, is what finally crystallized the idea that that column needed to be retired. That's where you're going to go. Because on the Buffalo Bills, there's a quarterback named Josh Allen. And if you go to my Twitter profile, you'll see a hashtag, never Josh Allen. 
And Josh Allen put up a couple impressive weeks in fantasy football. He was fantasy viable for a couple weeks this season. Did we waver? Did he rocket up the player profiler dynasty rankings? No, because we fundamentally believe that Josh Allen is not good. And a couple good games do not change that fact. New York Jets. How long do I have to be a Quincy Inunua truther? I mean, how long to get any credit for having any conviction in this business, right? With the Steelers and Juju Smith-Schuster, we said this is a first-round pick, that he deserves to be in the conversation with Corey Davis as the first wide receiver selected. And the idea that you would select Mike Williams over Juju Smith-Schuster was heresy. That was the position. It always has been the position. That Juju Smith-Schuster is far superior to Mike Williams. Even early in the season, when Mike Williams was scoring multiple touchdowns in a game, we said, slow down. Look at the snap share. Who's running all the routes? It's actually Tyrell Williams. And then Tyrell Williams, weeks later, was the one scoring the touchdowns. And Mike Williams putting up zeros. I don't remember taking the temperature of the room on Mike Williams before touting him. Because I've never touted him! And I never will! In his second year in the league, he can't supplant Tyrell Williams. It's probably not going to happen for Mike Williams. But I said it would happen for Tyler Boyd. Been saying that since he was at Pitt. The best value wide receiver in fantasy football, Tyler Boyd. And what has he done? What has he done? Oh, just a high-end WR2 in fantasy. In the highest scoring year in NFL history. Liked Willie Sneed ever since he came out of Ball State. Thought it was a mistake the Browns cut him. Overdrafted him in 2017, but remained hopeful that he would be a productive wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. And that's exactly what's happened. Why? Age-adjusted college dominance. For the same reason we love Tyler Boyd, we also kept Willie Sneed rostered in Dynasty and ranked higher than consensus. One lost season does not doom a player. And with John Brown, here was another wide receiver with a profile similar to T.Y. Hilton that just needed to get healthy. And we weren't dismissing John Brown because he suffered through hamstring injuries in his past. We said, well, this could be the year that he finds the doctor that figures it out. So you have to roster John Brown, especially in best ball leagues. He's the number one best ball receiver in the NFL, and he's currently top five in air yards. Top five, Baker Mayfield. We were saying Baker Mayfield's a 101 way before any NFL draft analyst would be caught publicly advocating for the Browns to draft Baker Mayfield. But we were out there. We were way out in front. Didn't take the temperature. Didn't care that Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen were ranked higher in the months leading up to the NFL draft. Had more conviction in Baker Mayfield as a quarterback prospect than any quarterback ever. Going all the way back to Marcus Mariota. Because has my conviction wavered on Marcus Mariota? We had analysts after analysts say, oh, it's a lost season for Mariota. Uh, It may never happen for Mariota. And I said, slow down. Show me a quarterback with a better college profile than Marcus Mariota. Baker Mayfield, okay, you got me. No one has had more conviction in Marcus Mariota this season. And it paid off in literally tens of thousands of dollars being made in cash games by player profiler subscribers. Marlon Mack, Marlon Mack. It was getting embarrassing how strongly we were advocating for Marlon Mack this offseason. And then he hurt his hamstring. And you couldn't justify drafting an injured player. So we didn't. So you didn't draft Marlon Mack, but you went out and acquired him in October, whether it was on the waiver wire or via trade, and he broke out almost on cue. So we nailed the Marlon Mack evaluation every which way. But it was never about, oh, Marlon Mack can't play. Marlon Mack lacks the requisite size, speed, between the tackles, ability to be a true workhorse in the NFL. That was the indictment of Marlon Mack 
this summer were so many analysts insisting that it was the Jordan Wilkins show in Indianapolis. Remember that? <laughs> but, but no, John Paulson and I insisted you have to draft Marlon Mack. He's the most undervalued running back in the NFL. As underrated as Marlon Mack has been, that's how overrated Leonard Fournette has been. And tell me, explain to me at what point did I waver on my Leonard Fournette analysis? Show me the article, show me the tweet, show me the show, the clip of Matt Kelly, Leonard Fournette, Stan. Well, Patrick Mahomes, huh? Right? Patrick Mahomes? He's pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Have I changed my evaluation of Tyreek Hill? Yes. What do you want from me? We said Tyreek Hill was being overdrafted in 2017 because he did not look the part of a true alpha dog receiver in the NFL because he'd never been an alpha dog receiver at any point in his career as a football player. Then a funny thing happened. He went out there and he established his alpha dog status, showed that he is a true number one in the league. Now, you could either practice cognitive dissonance and just ignore the facts in front of you or be a Bayesian. And by be a Bayesian, I mean process new information as it becomes available and use that to modify your forecasting. Well, that's the great balance. Have conviction in the context of a Bayesian process. It's a difficult balance. I think that I strike that balance better than anybody because what matters most is performance on the field. If you can show, demonstrate efficiency on an NFL field, that overrides the lack of production at the college level. At some point, you are your NFL performances. And what's the alternative? To intentionally sandbag our Tyreek Hill dynasty ranking out of some strange loyalty to obsolete analysis? So let me get this straight. You, you want the dynasty rankings to be less accurate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Very reasonable. Well, how about this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we be perennially lower on Sammy Watkins than consensus and be more accurate than other dynasty ranking services every year on Sammy Watkins? How about that? Because we know Sammy Watkins is a fake alpha, just like Jarvis Landry is a fake alpha. Oh, but you said draft Jarvis Landry. No, I didn't. Go back to the tape because that's what's so strangely false about this analysis from uh, Will Juke John or whatever. This idea that we completely ignore our track record, right? Except that we have a YouTube channel which tracks all of our previous takes. And you can go to YouTube and type in Roto Underworld and Jarvis Landry and hear all of our Jarvis Landry positions back through time. And it has not changed. Jarvis Landry is a target hog that does the least with the most. And in that position, he does need to be drafted at some point in fantasy football. Even before Kelvin Benjamin, they both deserve to be drafted, even if they're both not very good. And the specific advice was, don't draft Browns receivers in the top 40. I objected to two Browns receivers being drafted in the top 40, and specifically, Josh Gordon being selected before Jarvis Landry. But no one was running out, waving flags with Jarvis Landry's face on them. Th that never happened. Since 2014, I have said Jarvis Landry's not a true number one receiver for an NFL team. And if he is your number one receiver, then you have a weak receiving core, period. If Jarvis Landry is your number one receiver, then by definition, you have a weak receiving core. And in Denver, we have been highly critical of Demarius Thomas and his sloppy route running and his inability to squeeze the football for years. One of the league's signature overdrafted wide receivers 
He's drafted based on brand equity. He's drafted based on the idea of Demarius Thomas with Peyton Manning. And those days are long gone. And here's Demarius Thomas scoring 11.5 fantasy points a game. But not only have I had conviction in the abilities of Cortland Sutton, the next Alshon Jeffrey, also Deshaun Hamilton and Royce Freeman. Deshaun Hamilton and Royce Freeman continue to be ranked higher than consensus on our dynasty rankings, and I don't see that changing. I was also infuriated at the NFL, specifically the Dallas Cowboys, for not drafting Philip Lindsay, not even inviting him to the combine. It was the year of the satellite back, the undervalued satellite back in Edo Smith, in Philip Lindsay, and now who are two significant contributors for the respective teams, despite a lack of draft capital? It's Philip Lindsay and it's Eno Smith. And the year before that, it was Austin Eckler, who we uncovered from the school that sounds like a fake school, Western State. I mean, have we lost conviction in Austin Eckler because he hasn't produced for a couple weeks? No. Has he dropped like a stone in the player profiler dynasty rankings? No, because he's a great football player and he'll eventually be productive. But no, we're not going to drop him below Jalen Richard. Get out of here. That's conviction. And could someone point me to superior dynasty rankings, by the way? Because we update our dynasty rankings every week and players do not oscillate wildly up and down the rankings. They rise incrementally and they fall incrementally because the dynasty rankings are powered by a lifetime value engine. And even an explosive week where you finish as the number one scorer in your position group can't radically change your dynasty stock. And that's a good thing. The player that moved the most in dynasty this past weekend was Rashad Penny. No more impactful performance to dynasty than Rashad Penny's subdued breakout this past weekend. He went over 100 yards. Did that vault him into the top 20 dynasty running backs? No, but it moved him ahead of Chris Carson. Because I still believe Rashard Penny is the long-term answer at running back, not Chris Carson. So someone find me better dynasty rankings. More empirically driven. More frequently updated. I'd like to see these. Please, someone point me in the direction of superior dynasty rankings. Because I'm not aware of any. And you can say, well, Amari Cooper. You were so high on Amari Cooper. Yeah, that's right. We had conviction in Amari Cooper. So much that we were drafting him in the fourth round this year. And that was a mistake. If anything, we had take lock on Amari Cooper. You think I needed to be more strident with my Amari Cooper position? We still have Amari Cooper in the top 20. A lot of dynasty leaguers do not. But until I see more from DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton and Calvin Ridley and Anthony Miller and Christian Kirk, I can't rank those receivers ahead of Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is a similar age to Anthony Miller and Calvin Ridley, by the way. And in Dynasty in particular, I think we've used just the right amount of Bayesian processing with our Amari Cooper analysis. You want Amari Cooper ahead of Adam Thielen? Is that what you want? Ahead of Tyler Boyd? Ahead of Robert Woods? Ahead of Kenny Galladay? One season of shocking inefficiency is one thing, but when you carry it over into your next season, well, your on-field performance becomes who you are. And yet we continue to zoom out on Amari Cooper, like with Marcus Mariota, and rationalize his lackluster performances, specifically looking at the supporting cast. With Mariota and with Amari Cooper, zooming out allowed us to be cautiously optimistic with our Amari Cooper lifetime projection. Look at Washington. How long did you want me to insist that Josh Doxson can be a productive X receiver in the National Football League? How many games in a row does Josh Doxson need to disappear before you change your assessment of Josh Doxson from his days at TCU? There's a balance between being a Bayesian and having conviction. Josh Doxson is a 26-year-old wide receiver with the entire passing game to himself, and he's scoring 7.3 fantasy points per game. You gotta be a realist. What about the Eagles? Dallas Goddard goes to the Eagles 
Do we bury him in the dynasty rankings? No, we don't. He's currently in the top 10. Yeah. Because Dallas Goddard is a better all-purpose tight end. He fits the profile of one of these top three tight ends that can succeed in all phases, that can be on the field, in every formation, at every given down and distance. Dallas Goddard looks the part of a true tight end one difference maker in the NFL. And we will continue to have him ranked ahead of older move tight ends like Trey Burton. And I'm not sorry. And with Trey Burton, we have great conviction even in the face of top three weeks. How high does he rise up the dynasty rankings? Not very far. I think Trey Burton's ceiling is top 10 tight end in dynasty. But there were analysts ready to anoint him a top five dynasty receiver all summer. And we resisted, just like we resisted calling Jordan Howard a bell cow back in Chicago. Remember Jordan Howard? How many hours have I spent for this microphone explaining why Jordan Howard is not an RB1? He should not be ranked in the top 10 in Dynasty. And yet there he was in the top 10 on a lot of Dynasty ranking services. Not ours. Not ever. Now look at him. Look at Evan Ingram. Another move tight end that we refuse to rank ahead of better all-purpose alpha tight ends like OJ Howard, David Njoku, and George Kittle. How is Evan Ingram ranked behind George Kittle? Now you know. Six months later, ah, that's why. Ah! Because we looked at last season, saw a player benefiting from the law of the conservation of targets and tempered expectations when very few were tempering expectations around Evan Ingram. I may remind you. That's conviction. Conviction in Stephon Diggs. Conviction in Adam Thielen in Minnesota. That sure is working out well, isn't it? And how's Laquan Treadwell doing? Explain to me when, at what point, did we push Jamal Williams ahead of Aaron Jones? When did we bail on Aaron Jones again? Explain this to me. Weren't drafting him in the first 10 rounds because he was suspended? Oh, that time? And then acquiring him later on? Yeah, yeah. We don't draft injured and suspended players in seasonal leagues. Just don't do it because week one and week two matter. But at what point did I ever come out and say, yeah, you know what? I've decided Jamal Williams is a better football player than Aaron Jones. Just better. Aaron Jones just can't stay healthy. In fact, I went on the offensive and burned an individual at the stake, burned him to the ground. He was ashes for saying Jamal Williams is the top sleeper in fantasy football because Aaron Jones can't stay healthy. That was offensive to me. So why, 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 why am I receiving this blowback? I think it's twofold. I think that you have individuals hearing my positions out of context and they're not aware of whether or not I'm talking about a player in a dynasty context or a seasonal context and they get confused. Are there any other analysts in the world that are at the top of the industry in dynasty and seasonal and DFS? What other dynasty league podcasters also have a show on Roto Grinders? I'll wait. There is no more versatile fantasy football analyst in the world than the Podfather. And sometimes my seasonal tactics and my DFS tactics confuse Dynasty Leaguers. And my response is, get better ears, be better, listen, and give me the benefit of the doubt. Having amassed this track record of correct calls in Dynasty, allowing you all so many emails and tweets that we receive. Thank you, Podfather. You turned around my Dynasty League team in less than a year. Your Dynasty Dominator book changed how I play for the better. Based on that track record, give me the benefit of the doubt. Before logging into social media and calling me a fraud, maybe check yourself.
the other reason behind this buzzardry, I believe, is the the zeal for accountability. And you see this with anyone that is loud, is obnoxious, is boisterous. I dare say bombastic. The zeal to hold that person accountable, to find the kernel of inconsistency that you can then blow out out of proportion in order to say, hey, there it is, there it is, the evidence I needed that this man is a fraud. This bloated gas bag who thinks he's so smart is full of shit. I got him. You and your arrogance will be humbled. So-called podfather. Except you didn't get me. I'm looking at the track record because it's way out in the open. There's nothing there that would suggest that I am wallpapering over past takes or that I am changing positions on players out of convenience based on the fickle tastes of fantasy gamers around me. I ain't fickle. I'm the opposite. Whatever the opposite of fickle, that's me. And you see this with team after team after team after team. Traquan Smith is a better receiver than Calvin Ridley. Devin Funches is one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league. I've been saying it for years, and that position hasn't changed. And we expect the continued emergence of DJ Moore, who we were way out in front saying, this guy is the best receiver in this class, and it's not even close. And we use the same metrics to identify DJ Moore that we use to identify Chris Godwin and Kenny Galladay as the best value wide receivers in their draft class the year prior. And my enthusiasm for those players has only grown. What about Tevin Coleman? Tevin Coleman helped launch the show. My yeah but Tevin Coleman rant. Tevin Coleman is gliding on water. He's just so fast and smooth that he deserves more touches than Devontae Freeman. That has all proven to be true over the course of four years where the fickle fantasy community has loved Tevin Coleman, hated Tevin Coleman, loved Tevin Coleman, hated Tevin Coleman, loved Tevin Coleman, hated Tevin Coleman, and all we've done is profess our love for Tevin Coleman on a consistent loop since he was drafted. But maybe Will Jukenheimer objected to my assessment of Devontae Freeman, that Devontae Freeman is a savant runner. If I love Tevin Coleman, how can I say anything positive about Devontae Freeman? Well, isn't that one of the great indicators of unbiased, unemotional analysis that you can compliment a player who is competing for touches with the player who launched your podcast? And what about the Rams? There have been doubts for years about Brandon Cook's ability to sustain wide receiver one numbers, except when you zoom out on Brandon Cook's, all you see is a phenomenal receiver. And I called Cooper Cup a compiler at the college level. That doesn't mean he can't be productive once he develops a mind meld with Jared Goff, does it? I could have had take lock on Cooper Cup. I decided instead to be accurate and rate Cooper Cup fairly in a Dynasty League context, as well as every other fantasy context. If I change my position on NFL coaching, no. How many times have I sat in front of this microphone and espoused the virtues of Sean McVay? Oh, the Sean McVay offense. Have I ever called it the Sean McVay offense in Los Angeles? No. Sean McVay is and will continue to be for the foreseeable future one of the most overrated coaches in the NFL. It's not Todd Gurley. It's not Jared Goff. It's not Brandon Cooks. It's Sean McVay. He's responsible for the success. Bullshit. Sean McVay helps these players on the margins. But when you put Jared Goff next to Todd Gurley, next to Brandon Cooks, next to Robert Woods, next to Cooper Cup, you're going to get a lot of fantasy points. Doesn't matter who's wearing the headset with the khakis on the sidelines. I mean, if there were ever a time for me to change positions out of convenience 
it would be with Sean McVay, would it not? When 99 out of 100 other analysts are identifying Sean McVay as the reason for the winning in Los Angeles, then that would be the time for the guy without strong convictions to ignore his previous positions on coaching and insist that Sean McVay is the reason, that he's the driving force behind Todd Gurley's fantasy points. But that hasn't happened, has it? We've always believed in Tyler Lockett, always believed in Russell Wilson. Told you not to draft Doug Baldwin, not because he's not a phenomenal slot receiver, but because he was hurt. And can you think of anyone on the Cardinals for which we've possessed maximum conviction in our position? Anyone at all? Anyone? Every step of the way, David Johnson looks like an elite bell cow back at the NFL level. We were saying it before he became David Johnson. Back when no one was saying it, back when the common analysis was he's afraid to run between the tackles, that David Cobb would be more successful at the NFL level. That was real analysis that happened. And I explained metric by metric why that was a wrong-headed approach to dismissing David Johnson. And that conviction in David Johnson has endured through last week when even the strongest David Johnson advocates could not muster a defense in DFS. No, no, no. Can't do it. Can't do David Johnson this week. I've seen enough. Even Byron Leftwich can't help him. He's still being priced based on brand equity alone. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, no. I stepped into the breach and said, no, you're playing David Johnson in DFS. In a week where that wasn't a popular position. Because as I said on the Roto Grinders, final thoughts show. I do a final thoughts show on Sunday mornings on Roto Grinders. And I pleaded with everyone in the Roto Grinders community. RG Nation. Don't forget who David Johnson is. When you're setting your lineups, don't forget who David Johnson is. It looks weird seeing David Johnson in the mix with Adrian Peterson and Jordan Howard and James White. It's odd. Why does it look odd? Because it's not right. That's why. He's David fucking Johnson. And Matt Breida is Matt Breida. And we were talking about Matt Breida being one of the most misunderstood running backs in the draft last year. And sure enough, he didn't, he wasn't drafted. Why? Why wasn't he drafted? We told you why. This is a prolific runner at the college level. Something happened in his final season at Georgia Southern. It was completely derailed. But we were rationalizing away Matt Breida's failed senior season two years ago. And the reason why we weren't overdrafting Jarek McKinnon this year was the presence of Matt Breida. And sure enough, there he is, breaking out all over the place last week. Time and time and time and time again, we're showing conviction in players that deserve our faith and updating forecasts once a player proves to us on the field that he can be efficient in the face of huge volume. That's Tyreek Hill. That's Cooper Cup. That's the litmus test. You do that, I'm in. That's how you sway me. That's how you can change a strident podfather position. So the mystery remains, how could an individual possibly come to the conclusion that I don't deliver strong opinions, that I lack conviction, that I'm just a flip-flopper, swaying in the wind? I know how, because I take strong opinions on almost every player, even opinions for which I don't have a strong opinion, like Jarvis Landry, for example. I know that target volume can erase a lot of shortcomings on players. So I was not vigorously defending Jarvis Landry or advocating you draft him. And yet still, you remember me having strong opinions about Jarvis Landry this past season because I take strong positions on almost every player in the player pool. That's how I get this reputation. It's that there aren't that many strong opinions out there. So when you hear a strong opinion and it is ultimately proven false, that 
really resonates. And why am I not revisiting these sleepers that we identified early in the season that never fired? Because it's a waste of time. Once a player has become irrelevant, nobody cares. Analyzing that player has no value. It only has value to the person who listens to the show solely in hopes that I am somehow humbled. And that's a great tension point that keeps you listening. You don't want to miss the show when I finally get humbled. That's powerful. It's powerful in a sea of non-opinions. In a world where the modus operandi is hedge. Don't forget those caveats. So many fantasy analysts have mastered the art of saying nothing. Of being slippery. You just can't quite pin them down to a position on a player. Because they don't see the upside. Because to them, the value isn't in the process. The value isn't even in being right. The value is in not being wrong. Go listen to a fantasy football podcast. And you tell me that the analyst that you're hearing is not, first and foremost, evading a definitive position on a player. Because that is not the exception. That is the norm. And that's what makes me different. And that's why on the same day... I can be accused of take lock by one person on Twitter and a lack of conviction by another. But fortunately, my goal is not minimizing inaccuracies. My goal is to maximize quality analysis on every single player that comes across my desk and seek and speak the truth. I own that. I put it on YouTube and I let you be the judge. And so far, history has been kind to the podfather. And so is Alex Dunlap. My guest, he's from Roster Watch. He has me on the Roster Watch show on Sirius XM on a regular basis. And we have a great time. I love Alex. The reason why Alex is on the show is because the producers on Patreon asked for Alex. They said that show you did with Alex Dunlap after the draft was epic. And I agree. It was incredible. I loved that show. One of my favorite shows of the year was the show we did with Alex Dunlap. And all you need to do, if you know how to use YouTube, here's how you use it. Because we do keep a record of all our positions. You can go to YouTube and type in Roto Underworld and Alex Dunlap, and you can hear all the previous clips, our analysis of player by player by player by player. We talked about how good Anthony Miller can be. And there's Anthony Miller finishing as one of the top wide receivers in fantasy football in week 10. He is here by popular demand from the people that matter, the producers on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather. And when you sign up, we talked last week about how you get a shirt and an extra show every week and you get your questions answered by myself and like-minded fantasy gamers. But if you're not already a subscriber to Roto Underworld because you have the player profiler rankings or you have the player profiler data analysis, just signing up on Patreon gets you access to that weekly subscriber email, the plays of the week that we send on Fridays. So if you're thinking, ah, I just can't invest $45 for a subscription for the remainder of the year, that's six weeks. Fuck that. Well, just join us on Patreon and you'll immediately start getting those emails on Fridays and you can start deciding the direction of the show. Now, let's go talk to Alex Dunlap. He's from Roster Watch, and he's at Roster Watch on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. My man, Alex Dunlap. You know Alex Dunlap because he runs Roster Watch. He's the man. He's here on the Underworld Pod right now. Alex Dunlap, talk to me. Roto Underworld Podcast, back for episode number two. 
the first one, we uncovered it and we t- and we let the world know. Matt Kelly, who do we let them know about? We let them know that it was about to be Anthony Miller time, and we let them know eight months in advance. Yes, it's turning out that Anthony. Uh, what do you think? I mean, he's he's starting to look like he really, really is the truth. Hey, he finally had a week with more than 50 receiving yards. So congratulations to Anthony Miller. You hit 50 receiving yards. I'd like to see him do it a second time. I think that's not a lot to ask, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see polished receivers produce as rookies. That's what I want to see. I just want to see polished receivers that were productive and dominant at the college level that are great athletes because he has upper percentile burst score and agility score. So He is both explosive and quick, and he's the guy that can squeeze the ball in tight spaces as well. So on a lot of levels, he's really perfectly equipped, he and Allen Robinson, because Allen Robinson is also a great contested catch conversion wide receiver. These two guys are perfectly equipped to help Mitchell Trubisky in the areas where he's weak. Mitchell Trubisky loves to throw the ball into crowds. And Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller have a specific set of skills where they can go up and they can secure the ball in traffic. So it was very much the perfect draft pick for the Chicago Bears. Anthony Miller now paired with Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky, who is undroppable in seasonal leagues. If you were streaming quarterbacks and you tried Mm -hmm. Mitchell Trubisky and you got like 40 points, you just keep rolling with him and all he does is give you 40 points a week. No, it's and that's the thing. It's like if you were streaming, that's the thing. That's the thing about streaming that people don't understand. And when they use our cheat sheets at Roster Watch, they end up with these guys that you know, and you you never know what you're gonna get. You know, you end up with these guys, and maybe it's like a Philip Rivers, maybe it's a Marcus Mariota, maybe it's a you know, maybe it's a you know some kind of Mitchell Trubisky or whatever, and you just tell them like, look, you're gonna stream the position. They say, I don't want to stream the position all year long. I don't want to be holding all these matchups and do all this. And you say, look, here's the thing about streaming. Half the time, halfway through the season, you quit streaming because you find your guy. It's like you found your match. The goal is not to stream all season. The goal is to find the guy that you can then just keep playing every week, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. You shouldn't be dropping Ryan Fitzpatrick just because he did the impossible, which is to throw for over 400 yards and not log a touchdown. I mean, that is one of the rarer events you'll find in the National Football League. Matthew Stafford has done it twice because that would make sense that if there was a quarterback that would go out and throw for more than 400 yards and not log a touchdown on multiple occasions, it would be Matthew Stafford. Mitchell Trubisky does not have that problem because Allen Robinson is phenomenal in the red zone. We're now seeing Anthony Miller is going to be phenomenal in the red zone moving forward because he can go up and squeeze the football in tight spaces. So is this who Mitchell Trubisky is? Is he a gunslinger at the NFL level? And is that just fine? Is he a QB1 moving forward and for the foreseeable future? For fantasy, I think, I mean, for the rest of the season, absolutely. I I mean, just look at what he's been able to do with his feet. I, I mean... It's, That's the thing. Right? Uh, what, it's been it's been really rare, dude, to see like a guy look because he's here's the thing. If you look at like measure measurably athletically, you know, people always thought it was a trip, but it, it was true. Like I remember being at the combine for I think it was Andrew Luck's combine and just kind of looking at his combine numbers and saying like, shit, 
that those are Cam Newton numbers. Like Andrew Luck kind of tests like Cam Newton, right? Well, they're best comparable to one another. They were both dominant college players and incredible size adjusted athletes at the position. That's very rare at the quarterback position. That's why they compare to one another because there are very few athletes made that look like Cam Newton and Andrew Luck. But but then you see Mitchell Trubisky who didn't necessarily test like that. But he goes out and he puts like he has a rushing floor that although he doesn't he doesn't really have the you know necessarily this clearly not the same requisite you know athletic you know upside or athletic prowess of a guy like Cam Newton he does have this sneaky like I mean just look at the rushing totals this season fifty eight yards forty two yards thirty six yards twenty nine yards forty three yards forty nine yards fifty two yards thirty three and then ten. He's number two in the NFL among quarterbacks in rushing yards. Think about it. He's number two. He's giving you an extra touchdown a week. He's going to finish with over 500 rushing yards. Why? He runs a 4.67. You can't run a 4.67. I can't run a 4.67. 4.67's fast. I could never run a 4.67. Never. Even back in my heyday, like even yeah. back in the glory days, that I lie about. And I'm not even telling the truth. And even if I lied, it wouldn't be a 4.67. That's right. Yeah, that's fast. He's fast. He's agile. And the lie I would be telling would be about a coach's hand time. Mitchell Trubisky is a fearless Dak Prescott. Imagine Dak Prescott with a better coach and a fearless disposition. That's Mitchell Trubisky. That's a quarterback I would like to have in fantasy football. Absolutely, man. It's just it's a matter of this stuff where it really is for him. This really is kind of like a rookie year, kind of, you know, because last year it's it's just a different thing. You know, John Fox is kind of like, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like with golf. It's like, it seemed like the Jeff Fisher year, you could kind of set it aside, you know, same, same with Gurley, all, all the rest. Um, whenever you go to a, a progressive offensive minded head coach and God forbid, why does, why anybody would ever hire a defensive minded head coach in this day and age right right now? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, you see what happens down in Arizona. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You get a progressive, uh, offensive-minded head coach, one from the Andy Reid tree. And what about Detroit with a, an overrated defensive puppet? And the, and here's the, here's the thing too about Matt Patricia. He even did the right thing, kind of like Vrabel did, right? He did the right thing with making sure that there was some continuity to the offense, and there was at least sort of a dynamic, sort of spread um, concept offensive guy that you can look to and say like, look, he does the offense. That's all on Jim Bob. We're keeping him here. And I think that the one case you can make, remember when Jim Bob Cooter fixed Matthew Stafford, do you remember that narrative? And now, yeah. And then now what are people saying? It's like, is Jim Bob Cooter even any, any good anymore? All I hear about now is about how Jim Bob Cooter crawled into some woman's uh, bedroom and was charged with burglary. Did that happen? At some point that happened. What? A drunken Jim Bob Cooter. Oh, my. whoa. So Jim Bob Cooter pulled a Chad Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Or a, uh, who, who, who is the, wasn't there some other guy that got drunk and kind of snuck in someone's window? Oh my <laughs> word. If you just had a list of names, coaches <laughs> oh, in the NFL, pick the one that got <laughs> wasted and snuck into a random person's open window, it would be the guy named Jim Bob Cooter on the list of coaches. That's just too perfect. Yeah, he'd be like he he he'd be, he'd be like the, the the minus 300 option in Vegas for it's sure. Crazy. <laughs> I know you mentioned Todd Gurley. Is Todd Gurley the best running back of all time? I saw this on the show sheet, man, and I, well, look, the the correct answer is he's the best running back of our lifetime. Um, well, there you go. 
I, That's all I know. Do I need to go back further than that? The modern athlete is certainly far more explosive and more athletic right. than whoever was carrying the football 50 years ago. The human body has evolved leaps and bounds since 1968. Right. It, well, I think that I think also too, like our lifestyle practices have, have evolved, and, and you know everything that you know goes along with. I mean, evolution. Certain, you know, actual evolution doesn't occur that quickly. Clearly, but I mean, the, our our lifestyle practices, the things that we do, the things that we put in our bodies, the level of nutrition, the amount of training, the position specific training. Like, it's just a different breed of athlete right now than it ever has been. The one thing that I will say is that. It was not a Darwinian (laughs) (laughs) argument that I was making. No, it was the evolution of the sport in general and our ability also to select the best athletes for the best sports among the population. It's just a much more efficient process across the board. That's how we have so many explosive running backs now in the league at this moment in time. The one thing you'll, the one thing I would say is, and maybe that you would hear people say that we're football purists would say, if you like, if you go back and watch Jim Brown and just watch the film of Jim Brown, that guy is operating on a different level than anybody else on the football field. And you got to also remember that the rule was changed in 1978 with the blocking, right? The blocking rule changed to where you couldn't have your arms all the way extended. You couldn't have your hands on a guy like inside. You, do you remember when you used to watch it? You used to have to – guys used to block with their elbows, right? They would, have to have, they would have to keep their arms in and kind of block with your elbows. You couldn't get the full extension with, in, in the run game until the year 1978 as far as you know the blockers. So the blocking wasn't even near as good back then. And Jim Brown was still operating at a level that was, you know, he didn't look like anybody else on the football field if you go back and you watch the film. So I love that argument. The argument is I say Todd Gurley's the best of all time and you say no, it's Jim Brown. And you won that argument with the blocking rules. That was that. That's how you win an argument right there. You <laughs> drop the blocking rules hammer on the Podfather's head, and I have no response to that. I have no response. But I'm also hearing that there's a running back in the league that is already fast approaching Todd Gurley, and his name is Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley is the first rookie running back in NFL history to average 60 rushing yards and 50 receiving yards per game. How soon until Barkley surpasses Gurley as the best running back of all time not named Jim Brown? Well, he's going to have to surpass Gurley, and then once Darius Geis gets healthy, he's going to have to surpass him as 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 well, right? Well, that's <laughs> a great point. <laughs> playing up, playing. Can you please remind this audience how good Darius Geis is? He's so good, man. He's the he's the best pure runner in that class. He's he's a better pure runner than Saquon Barkley. It's just what what Saquon Barkley brings to the table. And I'm I'm being completely serious about this. He probably already he probably already is the second best running back in the NFL. I mean, is is that even a hot take at, at this point? I don't think it is. I don't think it is because he's such a great receiver. Just imagine a bigger, faster, stronger Alvin Kamara, right? That's Saquon Barkley, a bigger, faster, stronger Christian McCaffrey. If you love what Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara bring to the table, especially in PPR leagues, well, then you have to love Saquon Barkley. It has to be a love affair because even if Saquon Barkley wasn't a strong receiver, he would be able to be a top 
12 running back. He'd be an RB1 in fantasy just based on his between-the-tackles ability. Now make him a strong receiver, maybe the best receiver in the league at the running back position. And one of the best ones, period. Yeah, and then you could start to make the argument very quickly, oh, that he is actually the best running back in the league. And then if you extrapolate, okay, because Todd Gurley was coming off a torn ACL when he was drafted. He had the lost seasons with Jeff Fisher. Saquon Barkley hasn't had any lost seasons. Saquon Barkley's having the best rookie season for a running back we've seen, and this is operating within the confines of an anemic Giants offense. Just wait until the Giants either get an offensive line or a quarterback. They have neither right now. Imagine if they just had one of those things, how good Saquon Barkley could be. So he really does inspire the imagination. With Darius Geis, it's worth remembering Darius Geis. We've forgotten about him. We remember Le'Veon Bell because he keeps tweeting from Miami. <laughs> and everyone's obsessed about yeah. <laughs> putting on Le'Veon Bell's shoes that were recently stolen from his locker <laughs> by his teammates and deciding what's best for Le'Veon Bell. Even though I think Le'Veon Bell's best at deciding where his career should go next. Well, well, clearly, it's it's all asinine. But can we talk? I mean, these people saying like, how, how can you do it? How can you like? For, who gives it? For it's his. It's it, it's. I mean, it's his decision. It's his. It's his life. It's him and his agent. Whatever. Let them do what they want to do. I mean, you live your life, man. Live, live, and let live. My question is, how is it not theft that those guys are stealing his shoes? I looked at the comments on the tweet from Ed Boucher, I believe. And I was shocked that no one was caping up for Le'Veon Bell. That's his shit. You're stealing his shit. Those, like, those are his shoes. <laughs> my door, it's like if my door's unlocked in a parking lot. Like, I get it. You could just open the door and take my laptop out of my car. But just because I left my door unlocked doesn't mean it's not stealing, asshole. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even know, man. Maybe it's just me. I would figure that his teammates would be like, Hey, this is business. It's embarrassing. You can't afford your own sneakers, bruh. If my agent told me to hold out, I, you know, I'd hold out. Like, I'll just leave his sneakers be and fucking leave his locker like it was and not cause a big issue. I don't know. That's just the way that I roll. Fuck those thieves <laughs> in the Steelers locker room. Assholes. Yeah. And let Le'Veon Bell live his life. How about that? I think it's one of the great American stories that a player can be so wealthy and well-positioned in life that he can decide to retire from a vicious sport at the peak of his powers and just enjoy a year in his prime, not sacrificing his athleticism to the sport. And the next team that gets Le'Veon Bell is going to get a better, fresher, healthier Le'Veon Bell than if he had played that final year on the franchise tag. I think this should be the policy of all players who get franchised, because I don't think the franchise tag is fair. I think it's disenfranchising. I think it's the great irony of the franchise tag that it's actually disenfranchising. So the policy should be, yeah, sure, you can franchise me, but I'm going to go ahead and sit out. And not only am I going to sit out, I'm going to make a mess of the franchise so that you would never consider franchising me a second time the next year. Because that was the great fallacy, this assumption that the Steelers were just going to franchise him again. No, he sits out the whole year. No way that team is going to franchise him a third season in a row. No chance. Sit out, make a mess, and 
become a free agent and get to decide where you're going to go and sign a long-term contract. That's the move. Well, with the new ish, like it's not new, but with the new ish wording of the CBA from the 2007 update, it's very, and this is what Le'Veon Bell's agent maybe saw in the beginning, maybe didn't see, but has probably come to, you know, has come to completely understand at this point in time and why he's advised his client just to stay out for the, for the whole season is that he, they are not going to be able to franchise him for anything less than quarterback money next year. They're going to have to give him his third. They're not going to be able to. They're not going to franchise him. They have they have James Conner. They're like, oh, Le'Veon Bell has to hate watching James Conner bulldoze opposing defenses. Hell no. He's happy for James Conner. James Conner's success helps ensure his freedom. And James Conner's been a good been a good soldier about that. He hadn't talked any shit or anything. He's just out there keeping his head down, doing his job like he needs to be. But I do think you're right, Matt. I think moving forward, Le'Veon Bell has opened people's eyes to the fact that maybe after one franchise tag, um, on that on that second one, if you sit out as long as you're not a quarterback. Now this doesn't work for quarterbacks because what what, what happens? Is what you get the 140 percent uh, increase on the second franchise tag, and then if you're franchise tagged a third time, you get the average of the top five quarterbacks, no matter what position. That you play so for the, the quarterback position i'm not sure you could do this same thing but that's the, the beauty of it at the quarterback position you're not putting your body at risk at the same way you're putting your body at risk at a lot of these other positions and so these guys they realize now that they can sit out if they do want to put aside that money which is huge money it's top five uh top five money the average of the top five paid players in the whole entire football league the first year and then 140 percent of that in the second year and then if they want to do it a third year you're getting paid like a top five quarterback it's never going to happen for anybody but you could sit out and those years do accrue thanks to the wording in the other update of the 2007 CBA, uh, there, there's a small loophole there, something that will surely be addressed in the future and something that we're going to hear about from the NFL at, at, at some point this offseason. If you sign the franchise tag for the second season in a row, you are a sucker. See how I just, we came to a crescendo there with a the punctuation. We finally got to the top of the hot take mountain <laughs> on that particular topic. <laughs> just planted the flag. That's right. Did it. Boom. <laughs> Moving on. Who will have a better career, Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen? I think that I think that Le'Veon Bell is going to help Sam Darnold immensely next season. Oh yes, it's already happening. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. So I mean, you you got that going on. Josh J- Josh Rosen's got David Johnson uh, starting to come along a little bit. Sam Sam Darnold all but already has Le'Veon Bell. I mean, McLuhan is already uh, he's 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 already said that they're going to be very active in free agency this year. And you know, if if he sticks around, that could be a cl- clean sweep of that whole organization. Uh, not not only bowls, but man, I mean, look, my pre-draft evaluation it was Darnold. Um, yep. yep. I I th- I think I'm going to stick with it because some of these struggles I would have anticipated out of Sam Darnold. How old's Sam Darnold again? What is he? Like like 13, 14? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's a teenager. He's 21 years old. He's the youngest quarterback to start an NFL game in the history of the league. So maybe not jump to conclusions and call him a bust after he did have a handful of productive games as the youngest quarterback in league history. I'm willing to give Sam Darnold the benefit of the doubt and the Jets the benefit of the doubt. I'm not willing to give Dave Gettleman the benefit of the doubt because even if Saquon Barkley is the best running back of all time, the pick was still Darnold. You agree? Yeah, I, yeah. I, well, I, I think the pick needed to be quarterback, and it, it needed to be the it needed to be the quarterback that they Darnold or Rosen didn't matter to me. 
just like the previous year with Leonard Fournette. I don't care if you take Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. Just take a quarterback, Jaguars. Can can you imagine the Jacksonville Jaguars with 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 Deshaun Watson? Jesus Christ! Um, but man, it's like when, when whenever we talked about the lost years with uh, earlier, we talked about the lost years with Gurley or the you know the lost years with with Trubisky and all this. We, isn't it crazy with as good as Saquon's been? We could look back at this as the lost years of Saquon Barkley, just because they were the ones where this offense was tied to to Eli Manning. Man, is he has he just ever been ever been bad? He has ascended, though. He has risen above more than 25 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. And these are the lost years. This is the lost year. Imagine Saquon Barkley with literally any other supporting cast than what he has. It's, it's just it's just unbelievable. So that's a long winding way of saying like you should have look Saquon's great. And he's awesome, and we're just talking about how even in the Saquon Barkley lost years, he has been an absolute enigma. And so even knowing that, looking back, you still take one of the quarterbacks. Because the reason why these are the, I'm so pumped up, I just knocked over my, my microphone. Because, look, even though these are the Saquon Barkley lost years, the reason they are the lost years is because Eli Manning's dust. And he's been dust for years. And the fact that uh, Shermer couldn't recognize that and the fact that Gettleman can't recognize that, I, I mean, I, th- I thought that Shermer was going to be good, man. But that but certainly is an indictment, you know, him coming in and saying, you know what, I, the, I have the hubris inside me to think that I, that I could make this dude change his stripes. I mean, no. it's, 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 uh, it's, it's insanity. You, you can't do it. I, and I, you know what, I, I think with how analytics has, has um, been more and more em- embraced in, in the National Football League, we're not going to continue seeing these kinds of decisions being made. So speaking of analytics uh, overtaking the NFL, Matt, did you see I, – I don't, I don't mean to get off the show sheet, but did you see today uh, Marvin Lewis's quote about bringing in Hugh Jackson because of all his experience with, <laughs> with analytics? Stop it. Data? Wait, was that the reasoning? <laughs> It wasn't that we know each other, that we're friends. It was not had nothing to do with the friendship. It was all about his analytics background. He said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said with everything they were doing in Cleveland, you told me that he'd been he'd been studying up on all the analytics. I've heard it all, man. Just when you thought you'd heard it all from NFL coaches, here's something even more foolish than the most foolish statements by NFL coaches, and they make foolish statements every week. (laughs) It's like like this Jenga tower of, of nonsense in front of the podium by coaches, and it just never stops. Just what you think that it doesn't get any sillier, they find a way. They to be st- even more ridiculous. They stack another block on top. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that. It's just I can't believe it. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I was not aware of that. I was immersed in the show sheet, as you can imagine. Yeah. Who do you think's going to be the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens this weekend? Is it going to be Lamar Jackson? Is it going to be Robert Griffin III? Because Vegas has the game off. They will not set a line for this game until the quarterback is announced. I want it to be Lamar Jackson. If it is Lamar Jackson, is he the lock button in cash games for DFS? No, they, neither of them. It, it's 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 going to be both. It's they're both going to play, right? They're both going to play. Think about is it. Is that what they're going to do? Oh, are they going to do that? I had not thought of that. Yeah, they're going to put Robert Griffin in, and they're going to have a ton of special packages for Lamar Jackson. Oh no, you think that's what you, they're going to do? You can you can picture it, can't you? I can picture it. It's it's the easiest thing to picture. I guess I can. 
So what they'll basically do is start Robert Griffin, but call significantly more Lamar Jackson packages than they would have if it were Joe Flacco. So it'll be a heavy emphasis on Lamar Jackson, but they'll both get snaps. And then you split out Robert Griffin to that wide receiver that Flacco would split out to. He certainly looks a lot more dangerous out there than Flacco that just stands and doesn't do anything. So, yeah, it's uh, that's definitely, man, I, I wouldn't play either in DFS. I think they're both 4,700 on DraftKings. I think if you're going down that low, um, I don't I don't have it pulled up. But if you're going down that low, I think you got to go Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott only... 5200 so for $500 more on DraftKings, you can get Dak Prescott, and he looks like a new man. It's a new Dak Prescott with Amari Cooper. How much is Amari Cooper helping Dak Prescott and this entire offense? It looks like a new offense. I can't believe that the Amari Cooper, the Amari Cooper of the Oakland Raiders that we've seen for the last year and a half, fail, faceplant, fail, faceplant, is actually the tide lifting all boats in Dallas. How is this possible? Well, this whole this whole this whole mini resurgence of the Dallas Cowboys is going to come crashing down faster than that Jenga tower you were just talking about, and it's gonna it's gonna happen sooner than later. No, I mean, it's, no! it's just it's not a good it's not a good enough team. The offensive line is too the offensive line is too banged up. I mean, I know that the defense has gotten you know gotten better. We've seen some nice things out of late Vander Esch, but dude, it's just that team. Can you believe that Jerry Jones? Have you seen the before and after photos of Leighton Vander Esch? What, steroids? No, 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 no. I didn't say steroids. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was saying before and after. I'm just saying <laughs> we can we can we can imply we just, we probably should state it flatly, but there are photographs of Leighton Vander Esch in high school and early in his college career, and then now and you just have to look at him and wonder what the hell's going on. It's just three simple words, and we talk about it at Roster Watch all the time. Second NFL puberty. Mm. <laughs> In the NFL, you get a second puberty. Uh, you've seen it out of all these guys. Like I, like I see them at the Senior Bowl, and then I, we go on the training camp tour, and I see him again, and I look at him, and I say, holy sh- holy shit. It's like whenever you come back from, uh, you know, you come back to high school, and some friend of yours grows six inches, or, you know, some some girl that was all awkward comes back, and she's this hot, you know, teenage girl now. Like It's like they have these kinds of transformations. The one I've noticed it most out of is, is seeing him in person between now and then. To get, I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but it's Cooper Cup. He had a second NFL puberty, and he's even an older man whenever he came into the league. That's so true. I mean, he's he was he was more gangly. He was like whenever you see him now, he's just a more built up, more thick through his arms, through his chest, through his even his legs and stuff. He just looks like almost a different dude. But it you know it, it happens over and over with a lot of these guys, and that's that's prob- that's that's my always my default. My, the the three simple words to define these latent Van der Esch types of situations, man. We've been waiting for some rationale to explain how Cooper Cup went from relatively ancient compiler (laughs) at Eastern Washington to prolific NFL receiver. How did that happen 
we now have a potential reason I may have to retract the L that I took last year on Cooper Cop because we now have a reason that was outside the Podfather's control. One thing I will say about Amari Cooper for his fantasy football value moving forward, they're using him in the red zone like Oakland never used him. He already has six red zone targets. He had four total red zone targets all year in Oakland. So if they're going to start to target him in the red zone, that raises his ceiling significantly. I, I like Amari but much better as a Dallas Cowboy than I did as an Oakland Raider. I, and I mean, it's... It's just been evidenced by the fact that I would have never used Amari Cooper in any sort of DFS contest before. And I've been using Amari Cooper in these showdown slates because, you know, for one, you've just given up a first round pick for the guy. You're going to feature him, even though you're not using him in the right kind of way. But, you know, I think that Amari Cooper, if he's a guy who's in, you know, good, easy matchups, I've always thought he's a little bit, always thought he's sort of a little bit soft and, you know, crumbles a little bit against uh, tough, tough matchups. I'm not sure if you guys have data about how he does. We do. Amari Cooper against elite NFL corners. Amari Cooper is the great Houdini against top NFL corners. Most notably in all those matchups against Aqib Tlaib. Where's Amari Cooper? I can't find him. I don't know. Oh, I think he's behind Aqib Tlaib. Tlaib, can you move to the side? Oh, there's Amari. He just had to move (laughs) just to the side of foot. And now I didn't see him the entire game. If you just bend your neck slightly to look around Aqib Tlaib. Oh, there's Amari Cooper. Oh, that's why we didn't see him all game. So Amari Cooper this week on DraftKings, 5,400. I think he's a great play in cash at Atlanta. I think that he'll, he, Atlanta's uh, a soft pass defense, generally speaking. They're going to have to throw the ball to be competitive, especially at Atlanta. So I love Amari Cooper in that cash zone, five, you know, Five five to six K. There's always a wide receiver in that cash zone right there, and I think it's Amari Cooper this week, if not Kenny Galladay. So if you can't get up to Kenny Galladay at fifty eight hundred, assuming Marvin Jones doesn't play, you can pivot down to Amari Cooper at fifty four hundred. Corey Davis in that same range is gonna be real popular too at Indy. This is fertile ground, this Fifty-four to fifty-eight hundred range in DraftKings, often fertile ground for cash-wide receivers. So, so basically, you play a lot of these fifty-five hundred-ish wide receivers in cash. That allows you to afford a Melvin Gordon, a Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara. You pick your poison with the elite running backs at the top of your lineup. Now, talk about elite running backs. We would never mention the name Lamar Miller because Lamar Miller. We broke this news. Two years ago, he's a fake bell cow. <laughs> the moment he signed in Houston, we broke the news that he's a fake bell cow, and he's never going to be an elite runner because there was a, a lot of speculation that Lamar Miller would be unlocked in Houston. Remember, Lamar Miller's ADP was up into the third round in 2017. Absolutely, and but we said no, no, that's not going to happen. He's not a strong receiver; never will be. Now we have another running back that's coming off the pup list. Dante Foreman. And I don't see a big difference between Dante Foreman and Lamar Miller. Dante Foreman is just a bigger, younger version of Lamar Miller. Someone that has that great straight line speed and can deliver splash plays between the tackles. And when you pitch it to him on the outside, he's coming back. Do you think that the Texans could start featuring him as soon as this week? They won't be featuring him this this week, no. And that's 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 based on information I just got here. Um, they don't know as of yet if he'll return this game. More than likely, it'll be the Titans game for the Monday night. 
Oh, so you just text someone that you know that that's close to the situation? Extremely close. And it looks like it's going to be the Titans for the Monday night game. I don't, is that next week? Titans, let's look at, uh, let's look at the, the Texans schedule. Texans schedule. I mean, if they're telling me right now that they don't, he's like, I don't know about this game, but, you know, definitely shooting for the Titans for the Monday night. So Texans upcoming games. Redskins, so Titans, Monday, Monday, 1126. Uh, that is when we pro- should probably shoot to see Deontay Foreman back. And I'll tell you, man, I think he's more than just a bigger Lamar Miller. Deontay Foreman has elite, elite vision and elite speed, like from the second level to the to the third level. That, that gear. It's not difficult to have better vision than Lamar Miller. All right. I mean, if you watch Deontay at Texas, especially with the offensive line that he had outside of number 55, Connor Williams, um, who's been bad, you know, for the for the Cowboys. But that's a whole different story. He was he was really good at, at, at Texas as, as that left tackle. And, you know, Deontay would run a lot behind him. But boy, the rest of the offensive line besides Connor, you know, has been absolutely brutal up until this last year. Uh, at at UT for the you know better part of the decade, so he 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 did that behind a, a scrap heap of an offensive line that you know the, basically the third best season in all of you know Texas football history, two thousand yards, you know as much as like the Earl Campbell is and better than the Jamal Charles's of the world and everything like that. Deontay Foreman's a special you know a special talent at the running back position. Just because Lashore and Williams couldn't do it doesn't mean that Dante Foreman can't do it. No, I'm buying no. Dante Foreman because he started off with a lot more speed than either LaShore or Williams going into that surgery. Yeah, and it's I mean, in this in this legit speed, the first time I ever timed uh Deontay Foreman, I told everybody, man, he's gonna run four fours because I've timed him myself on my own hand watch at a at a four four three when he was like a like a senior in high school. And um he was just, you know, he didn't get any slower through through college and most certainly i mean it's just hand times we have on him you know he had to he had to sit out of the combine because i forgot forgot what it was at the combine that he had to sit out it was a minor ankle or something like that but you know even at the pro days the scouts had him at consensus where do you guys have him on player profile or i think the scouts had him at a four four six or something like that he ran a four four five at his pro day, and that adjusts to a four five zero on player profiler to make it apples to apples with those that run at the combine. Because on average, if you run at the combine, it's five one hundredths of a second slower than the average pro day time. Right. Well, yeah, three to five, but yeah, five. You guys are being conservative by saying five. I think that's probably the right thing to do, considering your whole website is just trying to have to have that that baseline. And if the numbers that these guys are coming in with. It's still a 113.6 95th percentile speed score, Alex. You run a 4.5 at 233 pounds? You are moving some serious body mass over that distance at speed. And I'd have to look back. I'd have to look back at my notes and then, you know, somewhere up here, like just to see what his three cone was. But I remember the three cone was pretty impressive too. He's just, he's a, he's a really good all around player, a great all around prospect, a great kid. I'm the biggest fan of him in the world. Just from a fantasy perspective. I I mean, look, if you've been stashing him this long and season long, you got to hold on just to see what happens. You could have absolute gold on your hands. You need to pick him up. 
You need to pick him up because this is an offense that can support an RB1 in fantasy who is not a strong receiver. In order to support an RB1 in fantasy who's not a strong receiver, the offense needs to have exceptional quarterback play at the top, good receivers that can matriculate the ball down the field, get that offense in the scoring zone frequently, and we know the Houston Texans can do that. So as long as the Houston Texans are running an efficient offense, and Dante Foreman's getting the carries in the red zone, he can be an RB1 based mostly on yards and touchdowns without the receptions. But they'll still call the occasional screen pass to him. It's not like he's not going to catch any passes whatsoever. He'll catch a few passes. It's just not his strength. I think we would all agree that's not his strength. It's not his, well, I don't know, but dude, here's the thing. Deontay Foreman has a twin brother named Armani Foreman who was basically the higher recruit than he even was. And Armani was an elite wide receiver, you know, borderline five-star wide receiver in the state of Texas. And all those kids did growing up is throw the damn football. It's what they did. They throw the football, they catch the football, they go out for routes, they throw the damn football to each. Like Deontay, Deontay Foreman could catch a football. Alex. He's been doing it his whole life. Alex. Matt, what is it? Yes. Really? Yes, he can, he can catch. Really? You're telling me that he's a strong receiver despite a 3.6% college target share because his brother was a wide receiver? Under 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 which offense? Are we talking about under offense coordinator Sterling Gilbert that won't throw to, that won't throw to the running backs? Alex. I mean, it's just like that, that isn't what Sterling Gilbert does. Look at any of the time that he was at Tulsa. Look at any of the time that – and then before it was Sterling Gilbert, it was Sean fucking Watson. Are you kidding me? They, like none of these guys are going to get anybody involved in the passing game as far as they're running back. I'm telling you with my own two goddamn eyes, Deontay Foreman can catch a football and everybody's going to see it soon enough. I respect the hell out of you not taking the L on Deontay Foreman as a weak receiver. I love it. And I'm not taking the L on Derrick Henry as a, as, as a receiver either. What? Even now, whoa! Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry is an elite, an elite receiver at the running back position. What? Derrick Henry is an elite receiver at the running back position. So you think that Derrick Henry can still become a thing? Oh, not only do I think he'll become a thing, I'm 100% certain he will once again become a thing. Because Derrick Henry is highly available in Dynasty Leagues, even after scoring two touchdowns last week. Dynasty Leaguers have soured on Derrick Henry at this point. He's very available. You, yeah, it, you need to go get him. It, look, it might not be with this team. He's not going to be a three-down workhorse with this team whenever they have Deion Lewis. That's very clear. When Mike Vrabel brought in Deion Lewis, he had big hearts in his eyes for Deion Lewis for what he'd seen go down there with his New England Patriots. He probably gave Deion Lewis too much money, but he wasted a golden opportunity to be able to give Derrick Henry volume as not only a a, a workhorse running back, but also a three-down running back with elite receiving skills out of the backfield. I'm telling you, man. I tried telling people about Darius Geis. He's a great receiver. It's true about Derrick Henry. It's true about Deontay Foreman. All these guys can catch, man. They can catch, and they're great receiving running backs. Derrick Henry, at some point, is going to be a volume workhorse that people are dying to have as far as a, a, a fantasy asset, as long as he's not in Tennessee long enough to where he gets too old and too decrepit. Now, Chris Thompson, may not be back with Washington next year. Washington can get out of that contract. Now, I always say that. I don't even know. I just say that as a rhetorical trick because teams can always get out of all contracts at any time in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's a quarterback. Even quarterbacks now, they have structured the contract such, like with Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill, that the teams can get out without a significant cap hit 
So that's my rhetorical trick. Washington can walk away from Chris Thompson pretty easily next year. So it could be the Darius Geis show in 2019 in a way that few people can fully comprehend at this moment because we're so used to seeing Adrian Peterson between the tackles, Chris Thompson out in space. Imagine just the Darius Geis show and only the Darius Geis show in that backfield. It's yeah. It's hard to get Darius Geis because a lot of dynasty teams that have Darius Geis weren't competing, weren't in contention. But if you are in a dynasty league and there's a contending team with Darius Geis, try to make an offer. Do whatever you can to get Darius Geis. And he's going to be undervalued in seasonal leagues next season. Book it for all the reasons that we've laid out here. He won't be undervalued on the roster watch cheat sheet. I guarantee he won't be undervalued on the player profiler uh, draft kit. Like, there's no way. We're going to be very high on Darius Geis. Trust me. He has a full year to rehabilitate the knee. It's going to be so on with Darius Geis next year. I just want the season to be over so we can start touting Darius Geis. That's what I want. Exactly. It's about to be Darius Geis season, right? I mean, who cares about the NFL season? Yeah, but and then, and then with Chris Thompson, how, how could you pay him? Look what Tennessee did with Deion Lewis. It's understandable if you're going to go out and pay a running back who is the most elusive running back in the league. You say they overpaid him, but at least they were getting literally, literally the most elusive running back in the league, the running back with the best juke rate on playerprofiler.com the last three seasons. It's Deion Lewis. There are very few running backs under 200 pounds that can withstand a primary back workload. I think we're seeing it now with Philip Lindsay in Denver, but it's a rare thing. So Tennessee at least acquired a rare talent in Deion Lewis when they decided to dip into free agency for the running back position. I understand that, but Deion Lewis is also 27 years old. So there's still time for Derrick Henry to become a full-blown workhorse back at the NFL level. I would like to see it. I'm just curious. I'm just curious at this point. Just as a curiosity, I'd love to see it. Next season is also the sophomore season for this current rookie wide receiver class. And that's a big deal because they're already breaking out. We talked about Anthony Miller. He's already breaking out. DJ Moore had a breakout week. Cortland Sutton is a starting wide receiver in the NFL. Traquan Smith is a starting wide receiver in the NFL. But we've forgotten about these rookies, especially Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith doesn't get targeted in a week. It's like he doesn't exist. It's like he's no longer a starter for the Saints. Breaking news. Traquan Smith is still a starting receiver for the Saints, and that matters. So of these receivers, these forgotten rookies who do you think is going to reemerge most dramatically this week do you know what we do before i answer that do you know what we do at the senior bowl at roster watch we work with the different um we've been working with with zebra technologies to bring the on-field stats from the senior bowl i love that just like max velocity all this stuff that we do traquan smith was the fastest of anybody at the whole damn senior bowl this year he 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 got a max a max sustained velocity of almost 23 miles per hour which if you were to put that against all the next gen stats that they do with the same zebra technologies for the NFL games would have been like the fourth fastest, like anybody had traveled on field. Like, and, and here's the other thing. He's big too. And he can go up and get it. Like, 
people say he's not like Ted Ginn because he's not this little fast guy. No, no, he's not. He's not like Ted Ginn. He's this big fast guy. It's just, I mean, you're crazy if you don't think he's going to be a big part of that. And people are off him. Do you know why I think they've recently been scared of him? It's been the one recent week of bad performance. And it's also been the fact that they brought in the dead mummified corpses of Des Bryant and Brandon Marshall. And it spooks people off thinking that those guys are somehow going to be a replacement for Traquan. Now, Traquan Smith is awesome. He's just a sublime receiver. Remember, he was productive at UCF at age 19. He had an early breakout age, and his quarterback in his final year at UCF was a wide receiver playing the quarterback position. Oh, uh, yeah, horrible. Horrible, right? Yeah, it was the same guy that Jordan Akins. It was, it was, it was terrible. So, Traquan Smith goes to Alabama. Calvin Ridley goes to UCF. It's Traquan Smith, not Calvin Ridley, that's getting drafted in the first round. This week, whenever we're talking about these guys, the first-year guys, the ones who are going to go biggest, how about I go completely off the board? Yeah, go off the board. What about Christian Kirk at home versus the shitty Raiders? <laughs> I mean, what about that? How did we forget Christian Kirk? Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course he's going to go bananas, right? How did we forget Christian Kirk? People love Josh Reynolds, right? Love Josh Reynolds. Why wasn't Josh Reynolds more productive? Because Christian Kirk was on the <laughs> yeah. same field at the same time, commanding even more targets than Josh Reynolds. That's why. Yeah, it, I mean, versus Oakland. I mean, have we seen a team that is just given up the way that these guys have? I mean, it's... Look, I think people are going to have a lot of interest this week, and I'm just looking right now at the like at the Roto Grinders extension here in DraftKings. It looks like David Johnson is going to draw. They're projecting currently at 15% ownership. Larry Fitz, he's down in that 5K range that you were talking about, that sort of cash range that everybody likes. Probably about 10% ownership. No one's going to be no one's going to be on Christian Kirk. No, Christian Kirk's a great tournament play. You're not going to play him in cash naturally, but you can play Ricky Seals Jones because he's running more routes in this Byron Leftwich offense, and you can also play Christian Kirk because he's also a starter. It's amazing. You just don't see this, Alex. We haven't seen this since 2014. This many rookie wide receivers seize a starting role in their respective offenses, go down the list team by team. These are starters, starter, 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 starter. Yeah, and it's it's not, I mean, yeah, you you mentioned DJ Moore. I mean, Kiki Cutie, you could consider him a starter. He's been he's been in and out. Well, he was a starter for a period of time. Right. And you love to play slot wide receivers versus Washington. So I, I think that there are a lot of good options this week as oh. far as the rookies. Uh, I mean, th- look, Traquan's going to be in about as good a scoring environment as you can as you can imagine. Those Phil- the Philadelphia Eagles are absolutely busted on the back end of their secondary and their whole secondary's hurt. They're either playing hurt or they're out for the season. Ronald Darby's out for the season. I take note of that. When the alpha corner in a secondary goes down for the year, everyone has to shift responsibilities and raise their game. And it's very difficult when you're looking at a Rasul Douglas. Is this guy capable of (laughs) shadowing man-to-man ex-receivers in the NFL? And if he's not shadowing a man-to-man, they're going to go zone. Well, you're ceding significant target share to the top receivers in whatever passing game that is. There's no solution. Right, If you're a defensive coordinator trying to scheme up a solution to stop Michael Thomas, it doesn't exist. There is no way to stop Michael Thomas. Michael Not Thomas right has finally surpassed DeAndre Hopkins on our dynasty rankings. Do you have any issue with that? 
No, how could you? Uh, I mean, the only, the only, and, and you know this, this was the, the, the debate that you had. How much longer is Drew Brees going to be connected to him versus how much longer DeAndre Hopkins' quarterback is going to be connected to him? That's a debate. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. And I would like to see at least the slightest degradation of skills from Drew Brees before I predict yeah. his demise, and I haven't seen it. He's yeah. playing as well as he's ever played, and as long as Drew Brees is playing as well as he's ever played, he's over a year younger than Tom Brady still. And Teddy, and, and Teddy Bridgewater's not chopped liver, man. You remember he was pretty good for a little while there, and Sean Payton was really smart about, get, about getting that dude on the roster. If they can extend Teddy Bridgewater, if they can extend him, and he can be the heir apparent in New Orleans, that's what I would do if I were Teddy Bridgewater. I would stay there. I would stay there. Absolutely. Yeah. You collect checks. You learn at the feet of Drew Brees, and then you become the heir apparent. Because it's not like they're going to draft someone in the meantime while they have Drew Brees as the starter. They're not going to invest a first-rounder on a quarterback. And they're not New England. They're not going to draft a Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just not how most teams operate. It's going to be the Teddy Bridgewater show, and you get to sit in the cockpit of the most dynamic jet fighter of an offense in the NFL. The moment you rise to that number one quarterback chair, it's the perfect situation for Teddy Bridgewater. You need to just park yourself. Go buy a home. Don't rent. Buy. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah just, just, just don't buy one too close to where one of those uh, big, big retaining walls is over by one of the levees. <laughs> His name is Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him to buy a home close to a bridge or water based on his last name. But if I were his realtor, yes, you're right. I would steer him on the high side of wherever the water is. How about that? Head for the hills, Teddy, and go by. That's where you want to be. And I think the same is true for Mariota. I think Mariota should try to... Uh, uh, um, I think Mariota fits nicely in what Tennessee has built. And I think that his goal should be to stay there for the long run with that offense and with that supporting cast, because now I think he's found his alpha receiver that he can trust, that he can throw it up to in contested situations when everything is falling apart around him. He has now that guy that he can trust. And I think that makes a huge difference. The fact that Michael Thomas is in New Orleans makes that backup job and the eventual starting job much more attractive. Now that Corey Davis is starting to establish himself as a true alpha, it makes that situation for Marcus Mariota much more attractive. Did you see this Mariota-Corey Davis rebound coming in the second half? Because it's on. Sure. I mean, if you... If, if you uh... I mean, if if you look at like the air yards models and every, all that stuff, you 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 had to have seen it coming because it was like, I mean, just huge, just blinking red signs saying a breakout is on the way based on the volume, based on the usage, and based on everything else. I had got, I mean, we got to the point like on our radio show, man. We, I was talking about Corey Davis and the possibility of playing him at forty five hundred. I mean, last week on on DK, and it's what you should have done. And, 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 and my co-host was just like, I am so goddamn tired of talking about Corey Davis, man. Oh, that's the problem. It's a small sample sport. You can't sour on these players after a handful of games, buddy. 
Yeah, no, and it's just it, it was this it was the same thing. I'm like, do you know, I'm, t- I'm tired of talking about him too. It's like he's on my wife's team. Like, can can you imagine how I explain this to my wife? Like, she's here using my cheat sheets, and like I'm here helping her draft, and she's got Corey Davis. I'm explaining every goddamn week. I'm like, come on, he's sick. You should see the catch ratings. You should see the you know, fucking college dominator. Like, you, you go back and look. He's a top five overall. She's like, she's like, I don't give a shit. Like, why is he only getting me three point two points every single goddamn week? That's why we created Player Profiler, so you could just pull up Corey Davis and help convince your wife to start him after consecutive weeks delivering nothing. So I'm 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 hoping for you know, her case. I guess for my own case too. That Corey Davis Corey Davis bounces back and I'm, happy wife, happy life. You better go out and score a touchdown, Corey Davis. And, and and I know that a lot of people have been waiting on this. I think he got bumped up this week to 5600 on DraftKings, and I think you can still play play it. And that, it, that's the other thing. People got too worried about that that matchup with Stephon Gilmore. He, he dude, he ate. I mean, there's just. I just think it was Marcus Mariota couldn't feel his hand for the first part of the season. That's it. That's it. Chase the targets. Chase the targets. We always talk about volume trumps efficiency in fantasy football. Even if Stephon Gilmore can throttle Corey Davis's efficiency, you know, breaks up a pass that a lesser corner wouldn't have broken up. That's still just one pass. Right. If you're getting 10 plus targets, you're getting opportunities to catch those passes over and over and over again. And in the case of Corey Davis's touchdown, that was a gorgeous throw. I think Mariota's back. And his best catches weren't even that. His best catches were just like in between the hash marks, just going like he is a beast, dude. Going up for it, like the way that he can go up and high point of football and just get above the rim on everybody. Everybody else, I mean, you stand next to Corey Davis, you realize what a large man this is with big banana bushels for hands and huge long arms. I mean, he is a he is a fucking beast, dude. It's like you built an X receiver in a lab. Yeah, like he just walks out of the lab. You're like, oh, oh yeah, right, man. That's how they're supposed to look. <laughs> we, we tweaked the dials correctly, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think there was a glitch in the system when they made Mike Evans. Because Mike Evans looks the part, just like Corey Davis. He looks the part, but he has that one glitch in that the moment the ball arrives, he falls down. So you're just like, oh, it's just not quite working. I can see the scientists playing with the knobs. You're like, how do we get him to not fall down every time the ball arrives? Look at his yak. He's number six on the Buccaneers in yak. He's behind Jacquez Rogers. How is this possible? He's been the conundrum receiver of my lifetime. You talk about enigmatic players. No one's more enigmatic than Mike Evans. How can you be number one in the NFL, or at least top five in target distance or total air yards, and then be outside the top 75 in yards after the catch? It's like a riddle. It's what happens when basketball is your true first love, and deep down you're a, you're a power forward, you're a big stretch four. That's what he is. Basketball is his true first love. You don't have one after catching basketball. You go up and get it. Is Chris Godwin better than Mike Evans in a vacuum? You're starting a franchise today. You're grabbing Chris Godwin. You're grabbing Mike Evans. You have to choose. Oh, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm higher on Mike Evans than, than, than you are. 
Chris Godwin does not fall down at the catch point. No, and the, here's, the th- here's the thing about Chris Godwin, too. If you watched his college tape, and I wrote about this at, at Roster Watch when I was doing my work on him, he was the most enigmatic for me because I didn't think he was going to test as athletically as he did. Nobody did. Nobody did. Because he went to Penn State, dude. Yeah. You talk about head-scratching athleticism. I, and I would, I would love to see what Chris Godwin looked like as a featured number one. Have you ever heard of the safety named Troy Apke? Yeah. Troy Apke has 100th percentile athleticism across the board, and he was a fourth-round pick out of guess what school? Um, Troy Apke. I remember he, he's a white dude, right? I remember. Uh, I have no idea. Penn State. Penn State. The best athletes at every position from Apke to Gasecki come from Penn State. I wonder why. Saquon. Steroids. <laughs> I didn't say steroids. I didn't say steroids. I never said it. It's a subtle implication, Alex. Something that strength coach is giving up there. Something's happening in Penn State. It stretches to the outer limits of plausibility that the same school would produce all the best athletes at every position. Think about it. Yeah, and Godwin just, whenever he, basically whenever he tested like that, uh, with the with the explosive measurables, it got me to it basically got me on board as saying, look, this is a guy who who we really need to consider as, as somebody who could pop off as a really top tier uh, talent at the NFL level. And here's the thing, dude, if, 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 if you look at his catch rate in the in the red zone and and uh, like he's a he's a real he's honestly, man, he's probably more trustworthy down there than even Mike Evans is. And he's supposed to be your Mike Evans is supposed to be your top, you know, red zone target, back shoulder throw, kind of back pylon kind of guy. But it's always Chris Godwin who's like not only finding those little spots in the zone and sitting into him and and and, and creating throwing windows, but he's all like we know that he has the speed and every like all that stuff that we saw in college, all that dirty work, all the all the stuff that we just had for his feel for the football game. We now know that he can burn dudes over the top too. I, I'm very interested to see uh, when Chris Godwin becomes a true featured wide receiver for that. I just, I don't know if you put a gun to my head. No, no, there's no gun to your head. There's no one's putting a gun to your head. It's maybe a water gun. (laughs) I just add Godwin or Mike Evans for some reason, something deep down inside of me still wants to take Mike Evans, but I don't know why. I don't know why it does. I think it's irrational at this point. Look at last week, last week, Chris Godwin with a 50% snap share goes out and posts a hundred yards. And then he gets hurt. So now he's questionable to play. If Chris Godwin doesn't play, you know we're going to be forced to play Evans again. You have to. Yeah. Based on like the air yards model, like we talked about, he is still top five in total target depth. And he's actually better this year at Yak than he was last year. It's shocking. I know. And But recency bias will keep people off Mike Evans. Also, the Giants don't allow a lot of fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So for a couple reasons, I think that the public will be off Mike Evans this week. But if Chris Godwin doesn't play, then they have no choice but to feature Mike Evans. If Chris Godwin doesn't play, I think Mike Evans is a, is a strong GPP option. And I also think, sadly, that Adam Humphreys... Adam Humphreys comes into play, yeah. ...will be a cash game play. I really think so. It's interesting because you're not going to play Adam Humphreys in GPP. He's not enough upside there. But if you're trying to get just cheap targets for the dollar, then you got to look at Adam Humphreys, assuming Godwin doesn't play. He didn't practice again today. He didn't practice on Thursday. It's a problem. I don't like I, – I, I, I want to see Chris Godwin breaking out all over the place, even when I'm not starting him. It just makes me happy. 
So I don't like to see him hurt at all. Same thing with Tyler Boyd. It's the same thing with Tyler Boyd. These are very similar players to me. It's just that Tyler Boyd tested how I was afraid Chris Godwin would test, right? You were afraid Chris Godwin was going to test like Tyler Boyd. And then as it turns out on the football field, it doesn't matter that Tyler Boyd's not explosive. He's just understands how to play the game, right? Yeah, and at the combine, at Tyler Boyd's combine, each year since uh, since we're officers with the Pro Football Writers of America, me and my radio co-host on Roster Watch, Byron, we get to watch wide receiver drills from inside of Lucas Oil from up in one of the press boxes. And wow, we we grade every route by every by every receiver. We've done it. I guess for every year for the last seven years and we can't tell who they really are except in a few extreme cases when guys have really crazy hair or something like that. That's a real defining characteristic because we're kind of far away, right? You can't see their faces. You can't see their names and you know, but you can definitely see their route running. You could see their feet. You can, you can make all this out, especially we take binoculars and um, watch real closely, grade every route and in Tyler Boyd's year, Tyler Boyd was by far the best route runner in his whole entire class. He came out on the very tops of those charts. That's always been a always been a really good indicator. And his breakout this year was one that I certainly didn't see coming. Like he was a guy that was just like a golden son, man, of, of roster watch, just a guy that we just loved and loved. And then all the dubious shit happened with the off field concerns and everything else. These last couple of years, we kind of kicked him out of the kicked him out of the house and kicked him to the curb. And all of a sudden he just comes comes. Comes knocking back on the door. He's like, "You've forgotten about me, man. The prodigal son. I've I've returned. I'm just I'm 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 wondering if the same thing's going to happen anytime soon for Josh Doxson, and I'm not entirely sure that it will. <laughs> no, Josh Doxson's not happening. Josh Doxson's the next Devonte Parker. Oh, please don't say that, Jesus he is. Christ. Hey, he, no, he's not going to get he's 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 not going to get a lack of playing time because he drinks goddamn yoo-hoo instead of water in the locker room. When whenever whenever the, whenever a trainer tells you you need to drink more water and quit drinking so much goddamn yoo-hoo. That's when you know that you've gone the way of Devontae Parker. If you were in line at Trader Joe's, <laughs> right, you can't tell Devontae Parker or Josh Doxson apart. They have the exact same build, and they have the exact same game. It's shocking. Yeah. Have, have you ever had the coconut cashews at Trader Joe's? <laughs> I haven't, but they sound delicious. Dude, you got to get them. Just try them once in your life. So you go to Trader Joe's, but not to get the meat because... From previous conversations, I've learned that you ascribe to the eat what you kill philosophy. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't kill everything that I eat, but I do make a um, I do resolve to know where my food comes from. If I can kill it, I, tr I, I try to take part in that by harvesting the animal myself. I'll actually be going out just I'll be going out on Sunday right after my serious show and doing my best to try and harvest a try, trying to harvest a buck to fill up the freezer for the um for the winter time but yeah even just meat red meat chickens cows like i want to know that it's coming from a farm near me i want to know that they've been harvested um in a way that is i just, i don't want to take part in some of this bullshit that goes on with factory farming man i don't want to take part in some pig getting bleached and a bunch of shit thrown on his goddamn skin and thrown in a machine that like you know has like razors on it that twirls them around in to make sure that the you know they get all the hair off the skin and just killed in such brutal ways these pigs dude they they're they're, they're smart animals you know like they are not you know they they die terrifying deaths so we can have fucking bacon and i just i i, I want to know that you know the animals that i eat are, are harvested responsibly and if i can be a part of We'd be a part of that to where when I'm eating my food, I have 
it's not only a sense of where it came from, but a sense of being part of the process and a sense of, of knowing that this is something that, you know, I've brought home for my family. I've harvested myself. I know that it didn't die in any pain. I know that it, it died doing what it was that it loved, being a being a wild animal, or if not being a wild animal, being an animal that was a free range animal that was, um, you know, harvested in a in a responsible manner, in a dignified manner. Then in that way, I'm that's it, the dignity of it. I'm making sure that I'm making sure that you know, as a guy that loves animals, I mean, it, it kills me to go out and kill animals. I guess it didn't really kill, like fishing doesn't it doesn't really kill me as much as it does the big ones, like the wild ungulates and the pigs or the rabbits and stuff like oh when i catch a fish and he's he's just swallowed the entire hook or the hook gets caught in his eyeball i feel bad for the fish absolutely i do yeah yeah i i guess i kind of do too you know i kind of do too but i just i guess for the i don't know for listen the easiest way to become a vegetarian is to work for one day in a slaughterhouse that's all you need to do you work for one day in a slaughterhouse you'll raise your odds of becoming a vegetarian by <laughs> double digit percentage points yeah yeah and and it's uh it's just you know for me it's an under it's one of those underbelly industries in america that most people don't think about because they don't have to but if you had to like a disposal of uranium right like no one thinks about what happens to all those plutonium rods in the nuclear reactors? Well, I don't think about it. Uh, they have a, yeah, yeah. a place to put them. I don't need to worry about they it. They got guys right? to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. They got guys. They know what they're doing. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you should learn about it. This is something everyone should learn about. How meat products are harvested and manufactured. Because really, it is a manufacturing process. And it is humiliating to the animal to go through that. So I agree with you on multiple levels, but <laughs> I mean, it's just, and I've thought about it. I, I've gone through the thought experiment on multiple occasions. Wow, it would be nice to become a vegetarian because Paul McCartney talks about vegetarianism and that he became a vegetarian 40 years ago, back when you couldn't buy vegetarian products in the grocery store. Tastes perfectly fine and it's all vegetarian, right? Bean-based sausage, right? In the vegetarian cooler at the grocery store. That didn't exist. There was no food for vegetarians. You could have a salad and that was about it. <laughs> when Paul McCartney decided to become a vegetarian, he actually decided to become a vegetarian at a time when it was really difficult to be a vegetarian from a sustenance standpoint, just to get enough calories to survive. That's when he decided to become a vegetarian. Now, it's easy. There are vegetarian restaurants. There are vegetarian coolers at the grocery store. There are entire vegetarian aisles. There are entire vegetarian stores. So give it a try. At least become a pescatarian. I might do that at some point. Become a pescatarian. Just fish. Just go kill them and eat them. And that's the loophole. You can also implement that loophole that I won't eat it if I don't know where it came from. But as long as I harvest it myself, I can eat it. So you can go out and take down a buck. And you can have meat in the freezer all winter. Yeah, and, 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 you, and you won't worry about getting your iron or getting any of your nutrients that you need to get or taking extra supplements or anything like that. And it's, 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 not, it's not just that. I would just recommend, man, people take the time to maybe like 
maybe once a month, if you never do it, go to your farmer's market and talk to the, your local farmers in your area. And they'll tell you, they'll tell you all about how they, how they sustainably harvest these animals and how they treat these. These farmers love their animals and they don't, do not want to see them suffer. They do not want to see them hurt. And it's going to taste a lot better. And it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be richer. And the color of the meat is going to be so much better. And we all know that we dairy products as well. This goes for dairy and eggs. We get our eggs from a local farm. When you crack one of those eggs onto the frying pan, it doesn't run everywhere. You'll notice the signature difference between cooking a a true free-range egg and a manufactured egg in the store is that the white is much more well-defined and contained in the frying pan instead of it just running everywhere. You can just tell, oh, wow. Something about this egg is healthier the moment it goes into the frying pan and and then you can eat it and it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, dude. Right? And I love how they're all different colors too. Yeah, you got some brown ones, you got some white ones, some spotted ones. Yeah, you have a brown one, you have a light one, a dark one. And they're all just, yeah, man, it, it, if, if you have the opportunity and you have a farmer's market around you, it's a great way to kind of just start with, you know, just making sure that you're not, you know, you're not making a bunch of assholes rich simply because they found ways just to fix their bottom line a little bit by completely uh, treating animals like shit. And that's why I don't get why people, you know, if I'll post a picture of me with a animal that I've killed, that I've harvested just for my family to eat or that I've caught out of the sea or anything like that. And people, you know, animal lovers will say that it's bad. And I'm like, well, do you eat meat? You know, because the, the whole reason I'm fucking going out to do this and spending my time doing this is because I do love animals and I love being part of the whole process. I love being in nature. I love knowing when I taste this piece of meat, I can almost smell in the air, the cedar tree that I was, that I was up in, or, you know, like, it's like being part of the process. And it's also just making sure that as somebody that loves animals that we do not do them the disservice of being completely evil and irresponsible humans because the people who are uh you know at these big big pig farms especially but also the chicken farms like and beef just a lot of it man it's a re it's a it's a dirty industry you should look into it you should look into supporting your local farms and with deer in particular we're not talking about taking down an elephant or taking down some endangered animal. Deer are overpopulated. Deer kill passengers on the roadway. If we don't have hunters, more deer are going to end up wedged into the bumper of cars. That's the alternative to not hunting deer. So there's a big difference. But when you talk about cheetahs, for example, does Brandon Cooks remind you of a cheetah? <laughs> Yeah, what a great segue! Yeah, dude. I mean, he he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have he doesn't have the 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 Twitter handle like like Tyreek Hill. But you know, you, you asked me. Oh, is Tyreek Hill the cheetah? I think he's at cheetah. Yeah. Oh no, did I do that? Oh, I'm so sorry, Tyreek Hill. If you're already the cheetah, I apologize. I need to know these Twitter handles better. This is my bad. This is a very embarrassing moment in the show history. I did not know that. How about a gazelle? Brandon Cooks is really good at football. Can we just say that? No, we can. And he always, he really, man, he he always, always has been. He always has been. I, I Right? Right? He had over 1,800 yards in his final season at Oregon State. You don't just put up 1,800 yards unless you're good. It's Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech Territory. And whenever, whenever we have Cooper Cup now, sadly, out for the rest of the season, it's just going to, I mean... 
now with the Los Angeles Rams, look at God, I can't wait until Monday night, man, for this game. But you're going to have talk about cheetahs on each side. I mean, you got Tyreek on one side, Brandon Cooks on one side, and you just have such a concentrated target volume now. I mean, it's it's Jared Goff, it's Todd Gurley, it's Brandon Cooks, it's Robert Woods. How much Josh Reynolds is it? Is it is it is it, it going to be some Josh Reynolds? Well, the think about how the targets are distributed in Los Angeles. There's no choice but to target Josh Reynolds because they do not have a tight end that commands targets. Now, last week they did. Last week they decided to start targeting Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. Was that a blip or was that a trend? I don't know. But anytime you can roster a receiver that's seeing 75-plus percent of the snaps for one of the best offenses in the league, you do it. No, yeah. And you consider starting him any given week. And if there was a week to start him, it would be this week. I'm I'm just pissed off because the the one league I could get him in was my dynasty league. And I don't think he has the same value in dynasty as he does in redraft because everybody's going to be back next year. Right. I mean, a couple will be back next year. It's expected. I mean, maybe I've seen stranger things in dynasty. Josh Reynolds is a very strong ad in dynasty. Stranger things have happened, man. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think probably a little bit more, I, I think he probably has a little bit more value maybe t- um, he has he has he has great value in both. I think he's a kind of a wide receiver three slash flex play. I think down the stretch he's probably going to be good. I mean, how many sixty three and a half over unders are you going to have a guy who's probably going to be, you know, if if not the third receiving option? You just want snaps in that game. Is he getting snaps in that game? Yes. The problem is it's not on the main slate. So we don't have to worry about, is Josh Reynolds a cash game play? I mean, thank God. Can I just say that? Thank God I don't have to deal with the question, is Josh Reynolds a cash play? Because that would be a very difficult question to ask, and I am going to recuse myself and just not answer it because it's not on the slate. You can say, yeah, he's a, he's a cash play on the one-game showdown slate Monday night, right? <laughs> Why not? Get him in. So looking at the Rams, who's more responsible for the success? Is it Goff or is it McVay? Oh, McVeigh. Because just I mean, just take away take take away McVeigh and look at the success that Goff had. But that was Goff's rookie season when he was a very young rookie, almost as young as Sam Darnold. Yeah, I mean, I I I I know that this is a no credit allowed to coaches podcast, so it's not going to be a popular thing. <laughs> no, 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 no! This credit allowed? Why this? mischaracterization that I hate coaches or I dismiss them as irrelevant. That's not true. I just think that they're largely overrated, that they are valuable, that their contributions are important, but they're very much on the margins. Look at Todd Haley. Todd Haley was assigned a significant amount of credit for the production of Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. How could so many players in one offense be elite fantasy producers? The answer, Todd Haley. You can go back. Todd Haley was responsible for Dwayne Bowe's signature WR1 season out of nowhere. Oh, well, Todd Haley made Matt Castle and Dwayne Bowe a thing. Todd Haley was coordinating an offense with the best running back and the best wide receiver. He must be one of the top OCs in the league. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in Cleveland. And then... <laughs> and, <laughs> I had a fart sound effect. And I realized that my own manual mouth fart sound effects are better than the generic fart that I was using. 
Well, I listened to the pod, and I've, I, I believe it or not, I've, I've actually kind of wondered before whether that was a sound effect. I found out just now it's, it certainly isn't. That's definitely a really good fart sound. It feels good. Yeah, but no, man. I just, I here's here here's my point, and I I see where you come from. If if you say golf, I don't think there's a right answer here for this question. It's probably why you asked it, but I, it's like. Well, that's why it's a tough question. If Eli Manning is the quarterback of the Rams, are they anything like they are now? But if if Steve Wilkes is the coach for the for the Rams, is Jared Goff anything like he is now? I think he is because he's far superior to Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen's still a rookie, and the upgrade that it goes under discussed so often is when after Jeff Fisher left, they bolstered the offensive line significantly, and that's really what they need in Arizona. They need a better offensive line more than they need a better offensive coordinator. I think that, uh, w- well, uh, yeah, well, they they needed both. They needed both. And and, and here, what I'm trying to say is, I'm I, I didn't mean just about Arizona specifically. I'm just meant these shitty defensive minded head coaches that have no reason to be hired right now. <laughs> the Vance Josephs, right? The Patricias, the Steve Wilkes. Why yeah. why on earth would you hire one of these guys? So I'm saying if, even even if, if you take a guy like that. And, you know, just one of these bad coaches like that, I don't think the golf, you know, they're not going to be experiencing anywhere near the same success. Whereas if, if, if McVay did have, you know, a similar quarterback to, to golf or any number of quarterbacks, he can be whispering in their, in their ears, you know, before the plays pre-snap, like he was during the first half of last season, you know, what to expect, audibling out of stuff, really just teaching these guys how to do things. I just think that he has the, I think it's a symbiotic relationship between those two players. But I think if if you're asking me who's a little, who's more responsible and I have to choose who's more responsible for that offense in in Los Angeles at this point in time, I'm I'm going to say Sean McVay, but I'm going to say that they're both vitally important. I think both are more important than Todd Gurley. And that's going to be an argument that a lot of people aren't going to, understand because we always talked about how Todd Gurley's the GOAT but the fact is Todd Todd Gurley is a running back speaking of sound effects you just earned the wrong answer sound effect (laughs) for which answer I answered a lot of questions there (laughs) for the McVeigh answer Zay Jones is he turning the corner is he good and just doomed to play on the Buffalo Bills is that really the problem he was doomed to take his pants off in a public place and try and jump out a window hey once the minute the pants came off for Zay Jones pants off I'm hands off no more Zay Jones for me no thank you (laughs) love it What about Trey Quinn? Because he's being activated this week and Washington has been rolling with Josh Doxson and Maurice Harris. Maurice Harris is currently the target leader, but they need an alpha in that passing game desperately. What about Trey Quinn? Do you mean new Washington's number one wide receiver, Trey Quinn? He's on, dude, do you know how sick Trey Quinn is? Go back and watch the Cortland Sutton highlights. I love Trey Quinn, and I love that you love Trey Quinn. Oh, I, uh, dude, I love, I love Trey Quinn. I've, I've had him on my radio show not just once but twice. That's how much I love Trey what? Quinn. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, Trey Quinn, it, he's the silent assassin. He's the sickest. It, dude, I'm telling you, man. Like Trey Quinn is going to be an unbelievable player. They're gonna let the the minute that they drafted Trey Quinn was the minute that I know that they're gonna let Jamison Crowder walk this this year. He's gonna take over immediately as a slot wide receiver and the number one target for the Washington Redskins. Yeah, Washington can easily walk away from Jamison Crowder this year. Yeah, easily this offseason. Are you, are you, are you, are you, you're gonna pay pay Jamison Crowder? 
I can say that about any player, and it's always right. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you can't technically, <laughs> but 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 Jamison Crowder is in a situation where his where where his contract is actually up. So you know. Gonna, oh well, there you go. Even easier. Yeah. So they're they're gonna let him walk for for Trey Quinn, and and he'll step right into the immediate number one role for those guys. I have. An exceptional amount of Trey Quinn in Dynasty. I just want everyone to know that. And listeners of this show know that because in a lot of patron leagues, we have a lot of patron leagues, go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, and you can join a patron league. And a lot of people that are in patron leagues, when they go and try to find Trey Quinn in the free agent pool, he's not there. Why? Because the podfather already has him on the taxi squad and you need to eat it. Just like I had Matt Breida on the taxi squad last year, he looks like he's for real. Can you explain to the listeners how the hell Matt Breida went undrafted? I would like somebody to explain to me how he's died on the football field four times this year and just keeps coming back, dude. I mean, (laughs) I'm telling you, if there is is ever like a nuclear holocaust, I mean, Matt Breida is going to be the dude who crawls out from under the rubble and just says like, oh, what the hell happened, man? Jesus Christ. Him and James (laughs) Conner. I feel like Matt Breida and James Conner can team up (laughs) and take on the robots and save humanity. Yeah, no, no. Like that's where I'll be, man. I'll I'll, I'll be at Matt I'll, I'll be at Matt Breida's house and whenever the nukes start start flying our way. Um and he's the here's the thing. He looks like he is so much bigger than just 195, 198, you know, something like that. To me, he looks and I know it might be kind of a Shanahan thing. Was maybe. that the second NFL puberty that he went through? <laughs> it could be second NFL puberty. It could have been he, he he his his running style reminds me of Devontae Freeman, and I'll bet you if he reminds me of Devontae Freeman, he probably reminds Kyle Shanahan a whole lot of him. So I, I I don't know. What do you think it means for your? I think so. What is what do you think Matt Breida means for your boy Jarek McKinnon? And like, do, what do you think about Jarek McKinnon in, in Dynasty right now? Is is the pendulum swung back to where he could eventually be a, be like? He's fading in Dynasty. I think if you're a realist, you see what's happening in Dynasty, it's becoming the Matt Breida show. And if he continues to do this, and by do this, I mean play hurt, do whatever it takes to get on the field, that goes a long way in the locker room and in the film room with the coaches. There's no way Jarek McKinnon, no matter how good he looks in training camp, can supplant Matt Breida if he continues to be this productive for the remainder of the season because he will establish alpha status and there's nothing Jarek McKinnon can do. Jarek McKinnon is doing leg strengthening exercises with the trainers watching the television as Matt Breida is scoring touchdowns and he can't stop Matt Breida from taking his job. And they both went to Georgia Southern, which is just odd that of all schools, it would be Georgia Southern. And Matt Breida was a great running back at Georgia Southern. Jarek McKinnon didn't even play running back at Georgia Southern. And I think that's the difference. I think that Jarek McKinnon was always miscast as a primary back because he doesn't have that background. That's why we weren't drafting him in seasonal leagues in the third round. He was being overdrafted. Why was he being overdrafted? Can you guess? Can you guess? One name was the reason why Jarek McKinnon was overdrafted. Does it start with an S? <laughs> yes, it starts with an S-H. Yeah, just dancing around a fire, chanting <laughs> Shanahan with these masks. I can see it. I can see people holding, doing Holding it. torches. <laughs> This is what they do, these yeah. fantasy gamers holding the torches, just shouting Shanahan. <laughs> they love him so much. He is a deity in football. That's what he is. 
And what and what's so weird was his dad was the worst. It was the Shanahanigans with him with the running backs. You never knew what his dad was going to do. But now I think we know. I think we know that it's the Matt Breida show. And I love that these two running backs are running in parallel. Matt Breida and Aaron Jones. That these were highly undervalued running backs in 2017. Aaron Jones should have been drafted higher and Matt Breida should have been drafted, period. But because they went to small schools, they were not valued properly. And that's why you don't draft Saquon Barkley at 102 because every year a Matt Breida and an Aaron Jones are going to be available in the later rounds. Book it. And now they're breaking out in parallel. It's like Mike McCarthy and Kyle Shanahan are realizing at the same time concurrently, oh, wait wait a second, we have all-purpose bell cow backs on our roster. All we need to do is feed them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and the, the, the thing is, that's coming, the, the, what the listeners need to understand is that is coming out of the mouth of the man who just said earlier that the guy could be the greatest in the history of the whole foot of, of the whole game of football, of the whole sport. Oh, yeah. And you still don't yeah, but take But he plays it. the running back position. Yeah. <laughs> The best long snapper in the history of the NFL does not deserve to be drafted in the top 10. It's always a mistake to draft a running back in the top 10. I don't care if it's Todd Gurley. I don't care if it's Ladanian Tomlinson. I don't care who it is. You draft that running back in the top 10, especially if you need a quarterback like Jacksonville last year. Doesn't matter what they thought they were getting with Leonard Fournette. You just draft a quarterback. I don't care if it was Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. We said it was Mahomes. You liked Mahomes over Watson last season, right? Oh, yes. Yes. I like yes. I like yeah. Patrick Mahomes yeah. over People that know what they're talking about preferred Mahomes to Watson. I didn't understand how Mahomes wasn't the number one overall pick. I thought that the Browns should just draft Mahomes at one, not Miles Garrett. But hey, I don't run an NFL team. But if I did, it would be stockpiled with talent. Because I would do an even better job than Sashi Brown because Sashi Brown could have had Patrick Mahomes and he didn't get him. <laughs> That's true. That, and, and the one thing that all the Sashi defenders and, and, and I'm, I've kind of been a Sashi defender mainly because I've just been such a huge Jackson hater. You should be a Sashi defender. Sashi knew what he was doing. Sashi had second round picks in one of the best years to have second round picks, 2018, when Harold Landry goes in the second round and Darius Leonard goes in the second round and Josh Jackson goes in the second round. They had second rounders stockpiled. And what did John Dorsey do? He punted them for Jarvis Landry awaiting a massive contract extension and a backup quarterback. Roster watch all senior bowl teamer from this last year, Darius Leonard. I saw it right there at the damn senior bowl. All available, all the right there. I remember looking at that second round on Friday morning thinking, oh my God, I would do anything to jump into the second round as an NFL general manager. The one thing, the, the one thing that the Sashi defenders, though, have a hard time defending against, and I know because I am one, is, they, is, is the question about what, about what about Mahomes or what about Watson? Why couldn't they have gotten a quarterback through, through any of that time when they were collecting picks? I think that they believe that the quarterback class in 2018 was far superior, and everyone's allowed to make a mistake in judging the overall quality of a particular positional cohort in any given season. The bottom line is his overarching strategy for building the most talented team possible was correct. And all John Dorsey has done since taking over is dismantle that. It was like a ramp that had been built into the sky, and all John Dorsey has done is 
deconstruct that lowering the ramp so now that their trajectory continues to be lower and lower and lower and the range of outcomes has been narrowed for the Browns after they fired Sashi Brown. That's just the truth. Browns fans need to understand that, process it, and eat it. (laughs) Because they all love John Dorsey, man. (laughs) He's going to get all the credit. They love John Dorsey because John Dorsey drafted Baker Mayfield. Well, don't you think Sashi was going to draft Baker Mayfield? Has there been a more Sashi pick than Baker Mayfield ever? (laughs) No. And you know what Baker Mayfield would have done? I understand Denzel Ward, the top rookie corner in the class. Great pick. But what Sashi would have done is trade that pick. He would have traded down in the first round and got another first rounder in 2019 and kept the perpetual feedback loop of picks coming and then he would have drafted elite players in the second round so no john dorsey did not give you best case scenario in the 2018 draft like you might think browns fans those browns fans i would say they're about to get up in your twitter but they're just so happy about that what that third win and over the course of the last three years <laughs> they just they just don't even care at this i point. know i know leave it up to the pod father to choose the week that the browns win a game to come <laughs> after the general manager. Of course, of course. And I would not have drafted Nick Chubb, and I don't think Sashi Brown would have drafted Nick Chubb that early in the second round, even though I love, oh, I love Nick him Chubb. I love him too. Love yeah. Nick Chubb. But you could have traded down in the second round and still got Darius Geis. If you had to pick, though, Nick Chubb or Karrion Johnson, pick one for your life. Chubb. Chubb, yeah. Karrion Johnson's a better receiver. Nick Chubb is a better runner. But because Nick Chubb is at least adequate in the passing game, that makes it easy, right? Yes, and he's just he. I mean, he's just a he's a more he's a big he's a huge freak. He's 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 he is uh, you know he's as far as his long speed, he's he's faster. I mean, don't you remember whenever Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley came? Like Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley are basically as prospects the same the same sort of player. If you ask Georgia fans about it, that's what they'll say. They're both, they're both absolute monsters. I mean, Nick Chubb's got the quickness. He's got the lateral agility. He's got the long speed. He's got the, he's got, I don't think he's that bad of a pass catcher. And dude, we saw his long speed last week. I mean, if anybody ever talks about it, just show him the 92 yard touchdown from last week where he's pulling away from guys who are fast corners and, and safeties. There's a reason why Nick Chubb is number one on playerprofiler.com in yards created per carry. Was that against Atlanta last week? God damn it. Atlanta's having to start Demonte Casey right now, who we talk about our, our, our stuff from the senior bowl. That guy, besides Traquan Smith, was the fastest guy on the whole entire field at the senior bowl. And that guy can't take a pursuit angle to catch Nick Chubb. So uh, his 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 on field speed is through the, is through the roof. He's got elite lateral agility, ter- terrific vision. Uh, I've been in love with Nick Chubb ever since college, and I said, always well, we said, if he can come back from the injury and be the same guy, he's going to be a, he's going to be an amazing NFL football player, and that's exactly what he's turning into. He's be, he's be, Nick Chubb's becoming a, he's going to be an RB one down down the stretch easily. Now more likely to rebound in the second half, Royce Freeman or Rashad Penny. Jeez, it's not going to be. Uh, I mean, could it be? Could it? Could it? Could it? Be? No, 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 no. That's all we needed. Don't answer that. We're going to go rapid fire. That's all we needed. That was a perfect response. Just what I wanted. Ronald Jones, worst second round pick of all time. Yes. Josh Adams. Is he going to get the keys to the car in Philadelphia this week? And does it matter? Is he going to be the primary back? Has Josh Adams risen up the depth chart so much so that you can now call him the primary back for the Eagles? 
Did you grow up with brothers and sisters? Yes, I had a sister. I have a sister. She's still alive. All right, cool. Well, so picture, picture your- Love you, Tony. Picture your dad handing over the keys to you and saying, you can have them to go see the movie at the beginning of the night, but you need to be back by 8.30 to give them to your sister because she's going to use them from 8.30 to 10.30, and then I need both you guys to have them back by, by then. If by getting the keys to the car, you mean like that, then yes, Josh Adams will get the keys to the car. That was a terrible analogy. But then he needs to bring him back for his sister, uh, Corey Clement or Wendell Smallwood. No, oh, we, we get the analogy. It was just a terrible analogy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the keys to the car. He's, 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 he's going to get them, but he's going to have to share them. He's going to go to a movie, and then he has to come back to give it to his sister. Corey Clement. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not better the second time. Still a bad analogy. Jalen Samuels. Can he replace James Conner if called upon? Oh, if, if they ask him to do it, absolutely. Jalen Samuels has an, uh, an elite skill set to be able to handle that role. The only thing is, why would he be called upon to do it? James Conner's shown that he's been more than capable of it. But you love Jalen Samuels. That's the yeah. point. We love big running backs who are dynamic pass catchers. Yeah, and, and, and he's not even one of these guys who I'm standing for in some kind of weird truther thing, like a Derrick Henry or a Darius Geis or one of these others. Your Derrick Henry take was weird. It's weird, but weird, 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 but true. And the, do you know what? After this, I'm going to send you all of his pro day footage, and you can just see he looks like Kelvin Goddamn Benjamin at his at his pro day. The way you can go up for it. Wait, 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 wait. What? That was a compliment. Well, yeah, well, Kelvin Benjamin had a had a had, had a great pro day as, as like as far as receiving. Josh Allen came up to him and asked him, "Hey, do you want to work on our timing and catch some passes in pregame?" And he said, "No." He's an asshole. But in, but anyway, so like I, like I'm not even having to, I'm not even having to put a cape on a truth for Jalen Samuels as a receiver the same way for these other you've seen it, everyone's seen it with their own two eyes if they've seen his college film he was basically used as a receiver in college and just at the Senior Bowl you know he's big dude he's 224 think 224 pounds at the weigh-in we talked about it he ran with the tight ends and I said what are you doing you're not a tight end you're a running back and we said the same thing about Ryan Nall. I said, Ryan Nall. Yeah, right. You want to make an NFL roster? You better switch to tight end now. Not tomorrow. Not the next day. Switch to tight end now, Ryan Nall, if you want to make an NFL team. Because he's not going to be Ryan Nall at the NFL level as a running back. He's going to be Ryan Null, as in zero. Zero yards, zero touchdowns, zero dollars earned. If Ryan Nall subscribed to Roto Underworld Radio, he would have an NFL career right now. Yeah, well, I think he has an NFL career on a practice on the Bears practice squad, right? But not no, definitely not the one, definitely not the one that he shot for. And I think it was the opposite of of that with with Jalen Samuels. Yeah, they were the opposite player. They were both playing the wrong position. What we asked them to do was, Switch. you know, how they wear those shirts that have the position group on them. I'm like, in the locker room, just fucking switch shirts. Yeah, right, right. You guys are playing the wrong positions. And it's and it's shaking out exactly as planned. Thank you. Thank you and thank <laughs> you. I did not see George Kittle being this productive this soon. 314 total receiving yards in his final college season. How the hell does that happen? I uh, you know what I I was interviewing Ryan Switzer at the I think it was Ryan Switzer at the combine. And he was telling me about how his roommate at his training out at, um, I forgot if he was at, yeah, I think he was at Exos and his roommate out there was George. He just couldn't keep talking about George Kittle. 
And it was somebody who I hadn't really followed too much because, I mean, you, you know us, man. We spend most of our time on running backs and wide receivers. We're supposed to analyze everybody for the, for, for the dynasty rankings. But you spend most of your time really diving in on the running backs right. and the wide receivers. It's just kind of – Sure. Those are the positions where you have multiple players on your roster and you just – But so I hadn't really gotten as far down the list to a George Kittle. But he just kept talking about him, about how you know, rooming with this guy, George Kittle – um, has helped him with it immensely with his preparation and how hard he's worked and how much he's willing to push himself and George Kittle and blah 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 and I don't know who the fuck George Kittle is but he keeps talking about him and you go up and you but and then and then later in the week though you once you see what the tight end score is coming in you say whoa well now we know what Switzer was whoa. talking about um, I think it was Switzer it might have been Trent ninety nine percent sure it was it was Ryan Switzer. Um, it might have been Trent Taylor, but regardless, the fact was one of these small little wide receivers was was telling me all about Kittle, and probably I should have I probably should have known looking at the athleticism. I'll bet if I pulled him up right now on PlayerProfiler.com, his nearest comp would be who even knows what it would be. I'll just look it up. Dustin Keller. Who Dustin Keller's a good. I mean that's that's a from a, from an athletic standpoint that's an awesome. Oh look at this Jesus Christ! Look at this player profiler ninety. 86 percentile 40, uh, 94 percentile speed score, 89 percentile burst score, 100 percentile agility score, and a 95th percentile catch radius. I mean, that's that's how we should have seen it coming. We should have gone to playerprofiler.com. He's amazing. And we did. We saw it once he tested, but I didn't know who the hell he was until he went to the combine. That was the point. Yeah. Only 300 yards receiving in his final college season. I just don't understand how you're Iowa and you have a talent like George Kittle and you don't throw the ball to him. It's just very weird. That's what you get when you have Greg Davis as a coordinator for a whole lot of your time there. He just doesn't use these. T- he Greg Davis is known very well for the utilization of bubble screens and wide receiver screens to that p- part of the football field much more than getting it to his tight ends. It's just like something that I know having covering the Texas Longhorn football program for as long as I have. It's, uh, you know, it's just not not too much of a, of a tight end friendly offense that Greg Davis runs. So that's the answer. Now in Arkansas, they fed Hunter Henry, which was the right move. But are we sure Hunter Henry's better than Austin Hooper at this point? Yes. I mean, we're sure. We're positive of it. Austin Hooper doesn't have his own horse named Austin Hooper, right? <laughs> you know? That's it. That's it. That was perfect. So give me a player you qualify for truth or status on. Someone that's off the radar, been off the radar for some time, but you're continuing to burn the candle for this guy. The kind of guy you're still holding on to in Dynasty, even though nobody even wants him, even if you did drop him? Exactly. That guy. You said it better than I could. Easily. Chris Chris Moore, Baltimore Ravens. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely loved him at the Senior Bowl. Um, honestly, one of the better one of the better catch, natural catchers of the football that I've ever seen in a live practice setting. And if you go back and watch his college tape, go back and watch Cincinnati versus U of H, uh, Chris Moore, and you will see Chris Moore thoroughly dominating William Jackson, who's become a lockdown NFL corner for the Cincinnati Bengals. That's right, underrated corner for the Bengals. Yeah, so uh, it's just you know a lot of lot of great film on Chris Moore. Absolutely loved him coming out. I think with the change of scenery, he could be a re- he could be a really good pr- productive number two kind of Z wide receiver in, in in the NFL. He's just the situation there's just been so bad in, in Baltimore. Yeah, they keep backfilling that position instead of allowing him to rise up the depth chart and establish himself. Now I need a bold prediction. Very very bold. I mean the boldest prediction that you can possibly muster, Alex. Give it to me. Okay, 
Um, Philip Rivers, currently number quarterback 15 in fantasy football, averaging 23 points per game. But that status as a quarterback two in fantasy will not matter one bit when he is hoisting the Lombardi trophy over his head as Super Bowl MVP. when he is hoisting the Lombardi Trophy over his head as Super Bowl MVP. And that's the show. All you need, man, is that inflection. If you can just hit me with that inflection, MVP. If you can just punctuate, (laughs) even if what you said had great shock value, if you don't deliver it with a punctuation, then I have to come over and be like, oh, God, I got to carry this take up to the peak. You've taken this take to base camp. I got to take it to the peak. I have to be like a Sherpa. I didn't have to Sherpa that take at all. You took it right to the peak. You planted the flag. We were done. Who knows? There were too many hot takes for me to even remember in this goddamn podcast. I don't think anything can compare to Derrick Henry elite receiver. That singed my eyebrows. I could I could pick hundreds of shows. I've been speechless on only a couple times if I've been speechless. That was one of them. I have Voldemort's face right now after that take. I'm here for, I've always said that there are players and skill sets of players that will never be realized because of coaching and competence at the NFL level. If there were secret formula for talent evaluation at the NFL level, these guys may spend more of their goddamn career figuring out ways that they can cover their ass for the bad picks that they make than by going out there and making good picks. You're going to pay pay Jamison Crowder? If you sign the franchise tag for the second season in a row, you are a sucker. I think that that Le'Veon Bell is going to help Sam Darnold immensely. I was a Beto guy too, man. I'm a fan of... uh, Fan of him. I'm I'm mainly just not not a fan of Ted Cruz. He has a punchable face. I don't know what makes someone have a punchable face. I think I might have a punchable face too. (laughs) It's very strange what makes a, a face punchable, but it's also, I think, the facial expressions, like how you hold your expressions, how you purse your lips in certain situations, the, the tone you use. It all kind of flows together. I think it's a perfect storm on Ted Cruz's face for punchableness. It's a perfect punchable storm on his face. There's no incentive to say, yes, I'm going to run. Because when you ultimately decide to run, no one goes back and says, yeah, but you said you weren't going to run. Beto talks openly about how he, you know, he hunts, he has guns. He like, he, like he goes out, like you and I talked about, about the whole like hunt for your food kind of thing. Um, Beto's for it, dude. He goes out every year and takes a whitetail. Like, he, you know, he grew up hunting all this shit. Just, just for him to come out and just talk about it like that. I think that is, it, it, it made him a whole lot more personable to a whole lot of folks. Can you imagine Ted Cruz hunting? I think that he talks about, I think he talks about, he would trip over his goddamn shoes, dude. <laughs> Can you imagine Ted Cruz in a duck blind? Beto visited every county in the whole state. And like a lot, a lot of those counties only have, you know, five, 600 people in a man. And like you go there and you talk to all those folks, you're going to, you're going to swing them your way. So I, th- I, I think that's cool that people outside of our state were watching that race. I thought it was a really intriguing one. 
I argue that he didn't really want to win because he'd rather get the cachet of almost winning and then not have to waste time being a senator and he could just focus 100% of his efforts on campaigning for whatever he wants to be next. You don't run and not want to win because it would have been a big deal to be a Democrat senator from Texas. That would be unprecedented almost in recent memory. So I do think he wanted to win, but when the choice came down to would you compromise any of the pillars of your main platform in order to get elected? Because he had the opportunity every step of the way. Okay, we won't impeach Trump. Okay, we won't abolish ICE, right? He could have said a couple of these things along the way, picked up an extra percentage point, and that would have been the difference. But he chose not to. He specifically went out there and said, no, yeah, I'm I'm good with abolishing ICE. And there's a lot of people that work for ICE in Texas. I mean, you're talking about a lot of people that just aren't going to vote for you because that's their job. So, you know, you don't want to talk about abolishing anyone's job in general. It's not a good idea politically. But the guy comes out there and he says, you know what? I'd, I'd rather go down than compromise on these core issues. That sets him up really well to go after the Democrat nomination because he never compromised. And no one can get him on that shit. Man, the one guy that makes fucking Trump shake in his boots is if, is if fucking The Rock just walks out there to the fucking music and he's jamming this big fucking alpha and he's pointing at Trump and he's fucking the showman of the, the, the house and he has all the fuck, he has everybody fucking standing up and chanting and doing all this bullshit. Like, that's the guy that Trump shakes in his boots and says, oh, I can't bully this dude. He's bigger than me. He's taller than me. He's more handsome than me. He's younger than me. He- he's more charismatic than me. <laughs> you know, and he's got everybody and he makes these snide comments and he calls me nicknames and he sort of bullies me up here. I think that that would be the one guy. <laughs> that would be full idiocracy. We're almost to idiocracy with Trump, but it would be full idiocracy. The movie by Mike Judge, it's about 10 years old, well ahead of its time, where a wrestler becomes president in the year 2088 or something. If we could just have a three-way debate for the Democrat nomination of Beto, Oprah and The Rock. But I think that Beto realized that we're in a new world where you don't need to climb the ladder of political experience, experience in office every step of the way. You can just skip to the front of the line if you're charismatic and you can raise money. But I think that office space is a signature achievement because it's culturally one of the most important movies <laughs> you know, ever. And, or do you go out and want to want to want to bust up the printer or do anything like, or to fucking red stapler or you know? I would even quote Jennifer Aniston talking about her flair. Chachkis. <laughs> That's totally it. Yeah, I can't. No, no, I don't. I just don't think I I have the requisite flair. But I'm fine with it though. What was rare about that movie was that they gave him full creative control because he was coming off Beavis and Butthead, and they gave him full creative control, and I think the studio tried to butt in one time with one change. He said, no, we're not doing it. And they were like, no, can we please just change this one thing? No. Like, he played a total power play. I have a very specific vision for this movie. And we're going to do it my way. He used to be a programmer in Silicon Valley. And there's so few people that have that crossover experience. After the tech bubble, so many people went to work in that industry that you could have one person in Hollywood speaking to you. He's like the only one. It's very difficult for anyone that starts a career on a trajectory in the technology world to then 
you know, veer off into the arts. Yeah, veer off into the arts. You're, you're a technical person. So there's very few people that cross over from the technical side to the artistic side. He did it. And so that's why his shows and movies resonate so well, because we're just dying for someone to talk about the mundane nature of this job. And there are funny moments every day. I was going to say, you better watch Ozark, dude. Yeah, it's just, that's the shit, man. Wendy Bird, man. I was like, wow, Laura Linney's getting old. That was my first thought. So I was like, oh, wow, she's sort of a handsome older woman now. That's nice. Good for her, right? Good for her. She's still working, right? And I didn't think about it. And by the end of season two, I'm like, she's hot. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jonah, the son. Like, that kid's going to turn into some kind of evil mastermind. They can really point the show in so many different directions. Because they now have this sort of like missile base of background and character development. If I was a writer, I would almost get writer's block because there's just so many interesting directions you can take with the show in season three. I'm dying to know just where they decide to focus. They could go in so many different directions. If you picture like that land where the where like that where the show takes place, it's like my neighborhood looks kind of like the Ozark of Texas. It's like take make it less like lush and green and like trees, make the trees kind of shrubbier and make a bunch of rocky outcroppings with like rattlesnakes and scorpions and all kinds of shit like that going down into a lake. And that's sort of the that's kind of the you know that's kind of the style around here, just just west of Austin. All I hear about now is about how Jim Bob Cooter crawled into some woman's uh, bedroom and was charged with burglary. Did that happen? A drunken Jim Bob Cooter? Whoa, so Jim Bob Cooter pulled a Chad Kelly? Pick the one that got wasted and snuck into a random person's open window. It would be the guy named Jim Bob Cooter on the list of coaches. That's just too perfect. But just because I left my door unlocked, doesn't mean it's not stealing, asshole. Hey, this is a business. You can't afford your own sneakers, brah? Ugh, man, I'm a hypochondriac, man, and that place is like, I view it as a fucking Petri dish every time I walk in. I actually had to go in there and ingest goddamn food in the middle of flu season. But <laughs> When I think of hypochondriacs, I don't think Alex Dunlap. You don't strike me as a hypochondriac. You drop the blocking rules hammer on the podfather's head, and I have no response to that. I have no response. (laughs) Second NFL puberty. 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 Have you seen the before and after photos of Leighton Van Der Esch? What? Steroids? What? Steroids? What? Steroids? 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 Oh, so you just text someone that you know that that's close to the situation? Extremely close. Extremely close. Extremely, extremely close. It's about to be Darius Guy's season, right? I mean, who cares about the NFL season? Really? Really? Matt, what is it? Yes! Yes, he can, he can catch! It's not difficult to have better vision than Lamar Miller. <laughs> right? I mean... Steroids! <laughs> Steroids! <laughs> steroids! <laughs> I didn't say steroids! Yeah, just 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 don't buy one too close to where one of those uh, big big retaining walls is over by one of the levees. His name is Teddy Bridgewater. He's a white dude, right? 
It's like you built an X receiver in a lab. Playing with the knobs? You're like, how do we get him to not fall down every time the ball arrives? Chris Godwin does not fall down at the catch point. Fucking college dominator. Like, you go back and look. He's a top five overall. She's like, she's like, I don't give a shit. Like, why is he only getting me 3.2 points every single goddamn week? Happy wife, happy life. You better go out and score a touchdown, Corey Davis. Oh, look at this. Jesus Christ. Look at this player profiler. Comes comes knocking back on the door. He's like, you've forgotten about me, man. The prodigal son. I've, I've returned. No, no, there's no gun to your head. There's no one's putting a gun to your head. It's maybe a water gun. I can't kill everything that I eat. And and then you can eat it. It's delicious. Of course he's going to go bananas, right? Because the podfather already has him on the taxi squad, and you need to eat it. He's a white dude, right? Does Brandon Cooks remind you of a cheetah? Oh, is Tyree Kill the cheetah? I think he's at cheetah. Do you mean new Washington's number one wide receiver, Trey Quinn? I've had him on my radio show not just once, but twice. That's how much I love Trey Quinn. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I've actually kind of wondered before whether that was a sound effect. It could be second NFL puberty. It could have been. Him and James Conner. I feel like Matt Breida and James Conner can team up and take on the robots and save humanity. I have a sister. She's still alive. All right, cool. Browns fans need to understand that, process it, and eat it. Handing over the keys to you and saying, you can have them to go see the movie at the beginning of the night, but you need to be back by 8.30 to give them to your sister because she's going to use them from uh, 8.30 to 10.30, and then I need both you guys to have them back by by then. That was a terrible analogy. He's, 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 he's going to get them, but he's going to have to share them. He's going to go to a movie, and then he has to come back to give it to his sister. Corey Clement. Your Derrick Henry take was weird. It's weird, but weird, 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 but true. Weird, 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 but true. He's not going to be Ryan Null at the NFL level as a running back. He's going to be Ryan Null, as in zero. And it's and it's shaking out exactly as planned. It's just a fun thought experiment to go back and almost like a video game. That'd be a fun video game to like, after Sashi's fired, you go build the Browns. <laughs> a video game that absolutely nobody would want to play except like you, me, and like Evan Silva. <laughs> It'd be like five people. You'd sell five licenses. Steroids! <laughs> I didn't say steroids!